Please be seated. Honorable members, as we normally say, uh, in the interest of safety, uh, for all present in the chamber, please keep your masks on and sit in your designated place. Uh, let's settle down. Uh, order, order. The first item on the order paper is a debate on an urgent matter of national public importance in terms of Rule 130 in the name of Mr. M. Tlengwa on the energy crisis and the threat of a protracted failure of ESCO. I now recognize the Honorable Tlengwa. Honorable Tlengwa and all the other speakers who are going to come, please watch your left. That's where you'll get your guidance from. Please, in terms of time. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the clock, right? <laughs> of course, the other one as well is an appropriate uh, indication. Go ahead, Honorable Member. The speaker, I thought she was speaking about ideological left. That would have been a huge problem. I didn't deny it. <laughs> Um, thank you very much, Honorable Deputy uh, Speaker and Honorable uh, Members. At the outset, I wish to thank the Speaker for acceding to the request of this debate, which we sent to her in March, and for the public record, it's not influenced by any other development. Let me remind the House that the IFP called for this debate of national public importance during the first term of Parliament. In a tragic case of irony, conditions remain the same as in March when we requested for this debate as the country remains in the dark. Since March, ESCOM has continued to implement load shedding with 26 days thus far in 2022. On 12 April, ESCOM's national control manager admitted, and I quote, they were now predicting at least 100 days of rolling power cuts this winter. How can a statement like this be uttered without an urgent response from government? While our country and economy is on the verge of collapse, ESCOM has advised that blackouts will cost South Africa billions of rands that are on the cards, and yet it takes, once again, an opposition party like the IFP to raise the alarm. ESCOM estimates gauge that load shedding costs South Africa's economy 500 million rands per stage per day. Let me repeat, 500 million rands per stage per day. ESCOM has become a curse word in every household in our country. Why? Because this entity is unable to deliver on its fundamental mandate, which is to generate enough energy to power our national grid. With almost weekly breakdowns and other maintenance-related issues, it is clear that our energy infrastructure is aging faster than ESCOM can get its affairs in order. ESCOM has become a national and international embarrassment since 2007. In homes and businesses across the country, South Africans are standing by waiting for real accountability, yet there seems to be a lies-affair approach by government when it comes to consequence management at this entity. 
Instead, year on year, this house ends up rubber stamping billions in bailouts. During the budget, the last budget, the Ministry of Finance stated, and I quote, government is committed to providing financial support to assist ESCOM's debt service obligations with an additional 21.9 billion rands allocated for this in 2022-2023. What have these billions brought us? Another 100 days of darkness during the cold, wet winter? Deputy Speaker, when asked about the likelihood of a total blackout, energy expert Ted Blom indicated that the power network required complex management with two possible causes for a national blackout, human error and technological faults. Another possible issue that could arise was due to power constantly being switched on and off for load shedding, something Blom said transformers and electrical systems were not designed for. Deputy Speaker, our economy cannot come to a standstill because of ESCOM. The complete lack of progress or positive change in the functioning of this entity seem to indicate that both the upper management and the board are sitting on their hands rather than making difficult decisions needed to steer ESCOM in the right direction. Further, we cannot allow ESCOM to continue to pursue archaic methods to generate power to supply the grid. Our generation of power relies primarily on coal-burning power plants and even newer coal-burning plants meant to boost the capacity have a myriad of problems. Medupi, although completed, was billions over budget, up from 80 billion rands projected to 150 billion rands. Kusile's initial budget was around 81 billion rand, but recent estimates stand at 161.4 billion rands. And this too could further increase with only three of its six units in operation. In, 2020, in 2011, Greenpeace Africa reported estimated that the cost of the Rusile plant from climate change to water use and the impact on health and environment and the damage caused by Rusile will cost South Africa between 31 billion rands and 60 billion rands a year. It is apparent that South Africa's reliance on coal flies in the face of our country's signed international agreements to reduce carbon emissions and mitigate the dire effects of climate change. We look no further than three weeks ago when the province of KwaZulu-Natal was devastated by floods. It is therefore without question that we must ensure that we fully pursue the alternatives to coal in generating electricity while safeguarding and climate proofing our environment. Deputy Speaker, we are a country with untapped opportunities and resourceful people. We have an economy that needs to rebound, but any green shoots are dependent on the certainty of energy supply to move forward for small business to international investors. Load shedding, therefore, cannot become South Africa's default position. It is not a solution to our crisis, our energy crisis, our economic crisis, our social political stability crisis, our social economic crisis. We need urgent action now before we are left in the dark permanently. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Honorable Masaule.
Deputy Speaker, Chief Whip, Honorable Members, I must confess that when I was tasked to participate in this particular debate, I had expected to speak to an empty room. Not because the ANC is out of touch with load shedding, which negatively impacts on the lives of people and affects the economy, or the ANC does not echo the public call for ESCOM to fix its generators and end load shedding. The reason is that this is not the first time we debate ESCOM in the House in 2022. And today's debate is marked by the recurrence of the familiar themes. The first debate on ESCOM was sponsored by Honorable Kelvin Malam of the DA, who discredited the ANC-led government for following the supposedly incorrect energy policies and strategies in the past. What is strange is that the DA in the city of Johannesburg has commenced with the procurement energy from IPPs, which was made possible for the first time by the energy policies of the ANC-led government. Today, today we debate ESCOM again, but this time around, it is the IFP that has sponsored the motion. There may not be anything very unusual about the debate, but the underlying effect of it that ESCOM is a threat and a protected failure does indicate that the IFP has implicated itself in the master's discourse. Deputy Speaker, it is clear that the DA and the IFP are in a social bond anchored on the commitment to discredit ESCOM for reasons that are inconsistent with the nature of challenges that characterize the utility. Whether we should be proud of this social bond or embarrassed by it is a question we'll debate another day. For the moment, let me facilitate an analytical discourse to prove why the IFP and the DA do not have the right idea of the challenges that face ESCOM. ESCOM has been limping from one energy generation capacity challenge to the next in the post-2001 period. Of course, opposition parties would argue that uh, the ANC-led government heeded the recommendations of the 1998 White Paper on Energy. The situation could have changed dramatically for the better. And that had the ANC-led government built Kusile and Midubi power station as well as brought the IPPs onto the grid on time. ESCOM could have peeled the existing energy generation capacity gap. As far as energy generation is concerned, evidence supports the exact opposite of this conclusion. The population in South Africa and the economy has grown since 1994 at the pace that ESCOM cannot supply on its own. While access to electricity in South Africa is reported to be above 85% since 1994, thanks to ESCOM's massive electrification program, keeping the lights for all households has proved to be a daunting task. What we are witnessing here 
with regards to ESCOM is neither a threat nor a failure, but merely a logical outcome of the instrumentalization of democracy, of, of democratic practices. In short, access to electricity is a fundamental democratic right, and ESCOM shows unwavering commitment to that, even though there is often a mismatch between access and energy security. Thus, energy insecurity is not an ESCOM failure, but a market failure that ESCOM is purportedly designed to correct. Perhaps the argument that the building of Kusile and Midubi power station is a story of too little too late is plausible since the ANC-led government became pro-cyclical about the construction of building new power stations to guarantee energy security. But this argument has essentially served the purposes of mystification. The real truth is that the construction of new power stations has extremely lengthy planning timelines. In other words, even if Kusile and Mdupi stations were built much earlier as recommended, there is no tangible evidence that they could have been completed on time to offset the growing electricity demand. The other unpopular view is that at the time when new power stations were supposed to be built, ESCOM was still paying off the debt it had incurred during the 1970s to 1990s construction program. This is something that the Democratic Alliance will never admit because its strategy is not of debating the facts, but of negation of ESCOM's role due to its challenges. It is an infantile approach to cut your nose to spite your face. A more sophisticated argument of opposition parties like the DA suggests that allowing IPPs to supply energy to ESCOM as early as 2007 would have turned out to be beneficial later on. Or to put it differently, had South Africa provided incentives and opportunities for IPP's investment, the country would have achieved necessary energy generation capacity. But the reading is evidence. Of evidence shows little support for this argument either. Renewable energies, despite their projected favorable effect on ESCOM's generation capacity, were too costly to compete with hydro, nuclear, coal, and none of them could offer a secure supply in 2007. The cost situation is different now, even though there are no economies of scale. The DA takes it for granted that renewable energies have associated co-benefits automatically. This is not true. The economic value of renewable energies would decline significantly as they become a larger part of the energy due to the intermittency issue because they produce too much energy when societies do not need it and not enough when it's needed. And even in cases where storage is available, the potential of renewable energies to increase energy security is limited. Regardless of the limitations of renewable energies, ANC-led government remains committed to the energy mix approach. More importantly is that ESCOM has procured energy from IPPs since 2012 and in counting. The National Transmission Company South Africa was incorporated as ESCOM subsidiary to enable IPPs 
to supply energy to the grid without any hassle. The president has recently announced that municipalities are allowed to procure energy directly from IPPs. The Electricity Regulation Act, Act was amended to increase the threshold for embedded generation from 1 to 100 megawatts. And later this year, the Electricity, electricity Amendment Bill and the Electricity Pricing Policy will be amended to support electricity industry reforms. While this is a positive, it is important to highlight that renewable energies take time to supply energy to the grid. This is, of course, not ESCOM's fault. If ESCOM still appears inadequate for the task supplying electricity, it is definitely not for the lack of trying. Deputy Speaker, the road to success is always under construction. And in this regard, the President announced in SONA 22, 2022 that the funding that South Africa solicited at the International Climate Conference in Glasgow will involve repurposing and repowering some of the coal plants that are reaching the end of their lives and creating new livelihoods for workers and communities most impacted by this change. This announcement should not leave the impression that the ANC-led government contradicts South Africa's genuine commitments and efforts to limit greenhouse gas emissions. Rather, the point that the president was making is that clean coal technologies, including but not limited to carbon capture storage and the circulating fluidized bed combustion system that the ANC-led government is yet to apply dramatically, can allow the country to exploit its abundant coal deposit in the short to medium term while complying with climate and environmental requirements. The ANC-led government will also implement the nuclear power program framework to procure 2,500 megawatts of nuclear power this year, thanks to the European Commission's decision to add nuclear power in the Green Energy Commission. You only listen to it when it comes from uh, the, the European people. When we say it, you don't understand it. Nuclear power, in addition, to IPPs and guests will allow ESCOM to conduct maintenance without interruptions as well as sustain the South African economy. Moreover, the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy is ro rolling out non-grid connections like water, solar water heater geysers that are used to minimize the use of grid-connected energy. There is progress in this regard. There is progress in many facets of ESCOM, although the process of correct and well, as well as restructuring to ensure that load shedding can be eradicated and the economy can grow to create jobs is prolonged. It is in the national interest that ESCOM must be fixed and restructured to ensure that there is sufficient power to implement the economic reconstruction and recovery plan to reverse the effects of poverty, inequality, and unemployment. Uh, Honorable Malam will be debating again uh, uh, for the, I don't know, for the third time, for the fifth time, the same topic. I hope it comes with a different uh, angle. Thank you very much. Honorable Malam.
Deputy Speaker, yesterday in this House, Minister Gordon indicated that stage that the risk of stage eight load shedding could not be ruled out as an option to prevent total grid collapse. And I hope Honourable Mahwale is listening. At this very moment, more than half of ESCOM's coal-powered fleet is offline for one reason or another. Our energy availability factor, which is basically the percentage of ESCOM's installed capacity that is actually generating electricity, is at a record annual low of uh, 58%. And the three-month outlook indicates a rough road ahead with a high risk of load shedding. And yet this government appears to be in complete denial of the urgency and seriousness of the electricity crisis. The Risk Mitigation Independent Power Producers Procurement Program intended to add a much-needed two gigawatts of electricity to the grid in a very short space of time has been mired in controversy and unable to reach financial close. Various government departments and entities are pointing fingers at each other as to the cause of this delay. But one issue that cannot be washed away is this government's complete ineptitude and silo mentality when it comes to dealing with this crisis. As an example, consider the Department of Trade, Industry and Competition, whose ridiculous local content requirements for RMIPP and REIPP bidders. In a country where the availability of a consistent, reliable electricity supply is a massive stumbling block to economic development and employment, it doesn't make any sense to require significant local content, especially when local component manufacturers are unable to meet the demand of the bidders. And the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy's response when I raised this in committee was, well, they, if they want exemptions, they must talk to the IPP office. They know what to do, except they have and no exemptions have been forthcoming. Chairperson, I have on numerous occasions in this House pointed out what needs to be done. But Andre de Reiter, the CEO of ESCOM, earlier this year identified six things that can alleviate the short-term supply of electricity. So perhaps he'll be taken more seriously. Firstly, purchase excess power produced by IPPs over their contract PPAs. Secondly, remove the bottleneck on grid connections for IPPs and upgrade the transmission infrastructure. Then, NERSA and government must support ESCOM's standard offer for small generators to supply the grid on a three-year contract. We need to address the very onerous regulatory framework for private generation and municipal uh, procurement. And we must exempt ESCOM from certain PFMA requirements to procure parts for maintenance. Lastly, we must address the shortfall of revenue at ESCOM from a failure by municipalities to meet their financial obligations. I would go one step further and tell Minister Mantashe and Minister Gordon and the rest of the ANC Poverty Cabinet to remove their ideological blinkers and recognize this situation for what it is, a crisis requiring urgent, bold and decisive action to quickly bring new generation online. We can't afford to wait if we are to address poverty and unemployment in South Africa. It is time this government got out of the way and allowed the private sector and municipalities to do what it is clearly unable to do, give power to the people. Thank you. Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. We stand here today.
to debate a very important matter, which is not new in this house. Deputy Speaker, three years ago, the former Minister of Finance, Minister Jutumboweni, introduced the Special Appropriation Bill in the National Assembly to request Parliament to appropriate 59 billion rands to give to ESCOM. Lots of commitments and promises were made, and we were told that the money would help to reduce the systemic risk of the energy crisis and stabilize ESCOM. When we made input in the debate at the time, we reminded South Africans that this was not the first time such commitments were made with conditions. We reminded everyone that the same was said in 2015 when 60 billion rands loan given to ESCOM in 2008 under the ESCOM subordinated loan special appropriation was converted into equity. All these interventions were made with the intention of stabilizing ESCOM, but they were misguided as the incompetent ruling party refused to address the obvious challenges facing ESCOM and have led to a far deeper crisis at ESCOM because they were left unattended. We said, stabilize ESCOM's leadership. We do not tell you to hire incompetent people with a proven history of failing in managing complex entities. We said, stabilize coal prices to stabilize ESCOM finances. We even said, if companies refuse a price, ESCOM must take back its coal mines and operate them themselves. NERSA warned ESCOM in 2019 that its contracts with 16 coal mining companies were poorly negotiated. The Minister of Minerals and Energy Resources, Minister Gwede Mantashe, admitted that if we don't resolve coal prices to stabilize electricity prices, the economy will collapse. But because people who are supposed to make decisions are benefiting from the Exaro contract of pay, take or pay that has led to coal amounting to a billion just sitting there getting wet are benefiting. Three years later, Deputy Speaker, coal prices remain a problem for ESCOM. ESCOM will never gain stability unless there is a decisive intervention to stabilize coal. We demanded that all triple P contracts that were milking ESCOM be reviewed and that ESCOM be given the independence to negotiate directly with triple P's rather than being a taker of prices negotiated by the government with a triple P unit controlled by banks and lobby groups. We also said that do not unbundle crisis ridden entity, build nuclear energy in a fiscally responsible manner explore, build, operate, and transfer models, and assemble a team of highly skilled engineers to investigate delays at Midubi and Kusile, and ensure the quality of work is of good and acceptable standard. None of these things were done. The so-called long failure of ESCOM is nothing but a deliberate collapse of ESCOM in the most careless manner. Today, ESCOM remains the biggest threat to South Africa's fiscal stability because of its debt that is nearly 400 billion rents guaranteed by the state. ESCOM remains a stumbling block to any efforts to kickstart a dead economy. What should happen to stabilize ESCOM and electricity supply? Please listen carefully, especially Minister of Public Enterprise. Number one, we are going to repeat this and repeat it until it sinks in your brains. We need to stabilize coal prices, including canceling Exaro corrupt contract. Number two, we need to fire the ESCOM CEO, Andre Drater, and COO, Jan Oberhorza, today and appoint a new competent executive with, with an engineering qualification, competent and must come with operational generation experience. How is it that a power unit four in will be exploded because no one was monitoring it and Jan Oberhorza was not fired, nor suspended? There's absolutely no consequence management that was taken against this incompetent old wild male. Number three, we must stop the madness of unbundling ESCOM. It is misguided and it is corrupt. Number four, 
we must create an independent renewable energy division so that we are not at the mercy of parasitic greedy capital to build renewable energy capacity as a country. Number five, we must review all triple P contracts. We're told that prices are going down and we're promised a review of all contracts. But because this is a parasitic relationship, this was never done. Number six, we need to seriously upscale the process of nuclear energy build in a fiscally responsible manner. This can be done through a build, operate and transfer model. China has an enormous capacity to intervene in Immediately. Why are you not engaging China in this regard? Lastly, we want to remind Andy Drater that when we last marched to ESCOM against load shedding and privatization of ESCOM in 2020, we delivered a memorandum of demands with even more practical and implementable solutions. We demanded an end to retrenchments, expansion of capacity to roll out electricity, including in the continent, agent lifestyle audit at all levels, restructuring of all government shareholding to include more than one ministry, make Public a list of all coal mines commissioned by ESCOM, cancel all corrupt contracts with consultants and build internal capacity, and also make public all service providers contracted in the last 10 years. If this was done, ESCOM would have been stable today. When we come back, we will not bring a memorandum this time around. The time for memorandums is over. We want Andrew Drader to go. We will not continue to stand by and watch the collapse and looting of public strategic assets. We are not going to ask Mr. Selramaposa to remove Mr. Godan because they share the same collective incompetence. And Mr. Ramaposa has proven to all that he's a coward, incapable of taking difficult decisions. So the whole lot must go with immediate effect so that we can restore power at our ESCOM. I thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. Honourable Deputy Speaker, the member from the ANC does protest too much. Market failures, really? Niamat, Desnetar, market failures, responsible for the crisis, market failures. It's an undisputable fact that ESCOM has and has always had a monopoly on electricity supply in South Africa. Now, according to Economics 101, Economics 101, a monopoly always makes a profit, always. It never, ever, 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 ever can make a loss, except under the management of the ANC. You manage to break all rules, even economic principles. In 2020-21, ESCOM made a loss of 18 billion rand. Since 2008, South Africans has had to face load shedding. The crisis of insufficient electricity supply already started in 2008 with all kinds of excuses of coal getting wet and a Christiania Kombouille Daninete Daki for Bistian Kwoni. But anyway, fact of the matter is since 2008, less electricity is being produced, less electricity. But ESCOM employs more and more staff members. From 2003 to 2021, 
the employees increased from 52,000 to 43,000. More staff members, but less electricity, less product being produced, more mismanagement, more money being stolen. Because of what? Because of cadre deployment and because of your failed policies of affirmative action and black economic empowerment. That is how you destroyed the power utility. Renewable energy, the honorable member talks about. But the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy procured, or the Honorable Zwane procured, 87,000 solar geysers in 2017. Uh, the storage costs of those geysers are more than 300 million rand, whilst only 7,000 of those geysers have been installed. That is what the ANC does to solve a problem they procure but then they don't do anything with it. Because who did they procure it from is the very good question. Honourable, Honourable Deputy Speaker, I'm talking to the former minister, the Honourable Zwani, who procured it. Do you understand that? I'm not pointing. Honourable Deputy Speaker, the ANC can destroy and does destroy everything they touch but there's one thing the nc will never ever destroy and that's the abundance of potential in this country is the abundance of potential that south africans does possess you will never be able to destroy that and that is the hope for the future but whilst you are in control of the energy and electricity in this country we will never see economic growth and employment creation because without reliable electricity supply we cannot have that i thank you Deputy Speaker, the ACDP wishes to thank the IFP for requesting this debate. Now, the ongoing crisis has had devastating consequences for our economy and for society in general. Ordinary South Africans continue to be subjected to major, increasingly frequent disruptions to every aspect of their lives. This impacts all, including those small businesses and the poor in townships and rural areas who do not have the resources to run generators, generators when there is load shedding. Now, decades of political indecision driven by political dogma and an inability to plan ahead the deployment of unqualified people into critical positions, as well as state capture and corruption, have seen what was once a world-leading energy company brought to its knees. Now, according to the Zondo Commission, a staggering 14.7 billion was stolen from ESCOM itself. Now, it's very interesting that further outages occurred in the very period that the Zondo report on ESCOM implicating many was released. Is this a coincidence? We think not. And while the current crisis at ESCOM can correctly be placed squarely at the door of the ANC, let us not forget 
Those brave members of the ANC, Minister Gordon, you were part of it. Honorable Mazzoni, you were part of Team South Africa when we exposed the corruption in the ESCOM parliamentary oversight. Sadly, a number of those courageous members, such as Honorable Dorothy Ranto, who is re um, were not re-elected despite their sterling work and having to stand up against intimidation and death threats. And while it is also correct to hold the present leadership at ESCOM accountable, acts of criminality and even sabotage continue to this day at the power stations. According to Mr. Derater, criminal collusion is taking place where maintenance contractors are deliberately putting hard objects into mills supplying coal to power stations, causing breakdowns and generating lucrative work for themselves. This is absolutely disgraceful and must be condemned in the strongest possible terms. Then you've got 1.3 billion rand worth of power stations spares stolen from Tutuka power station. Thankfully, in this regard, people have been arrested and face criminal charges. But sadly, looting and corruption tends to be endemic. And my perspective from the Justice Committee side is we need to do more. The evidence is now there, and we will be holding the NPA and those involved in investigations and prosecutions accountable to ensure that those that have been involved, as Honorable Godan said, those who have benefited in one way or another must stop being treated as little heroes because they are not and must be held accountable. We need to see orange overalls and we need to see the billions of rands that were stolen being collected and returned to the state. South African taxpayers demand this and we need to deliver. I thank you. Thank you. Uh, UDM. Is UDM on the virtual platform? Okay. Uh, Honorable Heron. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Deputy Speaker, as South Africa lurches into another spate of electricity failures, for which the current lot in charge of Eskom blamed the previous lot who blamed those before them, it is becoming increasingly clear that expertise is the critical intervention that is missing. The rolling blackouts are accompanied by a roster of rolling excuses, from sabotage to lack of maintenance to wet coal to state capture. Yesterday, the minister said that failing to consider the cause um, of the problem would be like going to a doctor to get treatment without the, the doctor identifying the cause of the ailment. Of course, we can't, of course, we must consider the cause, but no patient would go to a doctor for years on end to hear the same diagnosis and see no recovery. If they did, they would probably need to see a psychiatrist. When there weren't any blackouts a year or, for a year or two a few years ago, it was attributed by some to excellent engineering and maintenance interventions. But others attributed this to Eskom burning unaffordable quantities of diesel to cover up the deficiencies and the plunder of the power station fleet. According to the Department of Public Enterprises and Eskom, at the time South Africa was then managing to export large quantities of power to neighboring countries. Today, we don't know how much diesel we're burning or if we're still exporting electricity. All we really know is that over the past three years, there have been more blackouts than ever before, with 2021 being the, year, the worst year since 2007. 
By the end of November 2021, we had 1,136 hours of outages. Four years after the alleged state capture crowd were removed from power, Eskin's performance was its most rotten in history. If South Africa doesn't have the, the people with the necessary qualifications and expertise to fix Eskom and secure our, our electricity supply, then the government and the state must consider importing expertise from other places. And perhaps this is an area where BRICS, our BRICS partners can help. This is urgent. South Africa's economy will remain listless for as long as potential investors don't have the security of state power, of state power supply. At the same time, last year's announcement of accelerated power production by independent power producers must take real shape and form. This would provide us with far greater assurance than the state's effort to force car power ships on the country without public consultation. Renewable energy production is no longer a futuristic con concept. We're already doing it, but we must up our game. Over time, we will this will enable us to reduce our dependence on Eskom while simultaneously reducing the carbon we spew into the atmosphere. Instead of constantly squirming and retreading excuses to explain its inexplicably poor record, Eskom must take the nation into, into its confidence. Tell the people what's really going on, what you are actually doing to address it, where you lack expertise, and what help you need. Thank you. Give her a chance, Honorable Sheikh Imam. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. <clears throat> Let me, at the very outset, condemn with the contempt it deserves the conduct of the Standing Committee on Public Accounts for the attack on the board. I think it was totally uncalled for, but let me also welcome the apology by Honorable Msengwa for having realized that, of course, the attack was unwarranted. Because the question we need to ask, where was COPA in the last 28 years, or at least since 2005, when all the looting and corruption took place at ESCOM? Minister Godan was not there, so why are we attacking Minister Godan? CEO Direte was not there, why are we attacking the CEO? Why are we attacking Mrs. Mabuso? She was never there. She is telling you exactly what has happened. Why don't you go and attack Zondo? Chief Justice Zondo, go and attack him because he has said in no uncertain terms that it is the ANC that is the root cause of why ESCOM is where it is today and most of the corruption in terms of the state-owned entities. That is exactly what he has said. 139 billion rand is being investigated just on Medupi and Kusile. Now, just look at this. From 161 billion that was estimated in 2007, it is expected to go up to 450 billion. And still it's not going to be in operation. So what does it simply mean? It was looting, it was cadet deployment. If you listen to what Brian Molef has said, he said it is common knowledge that I attended meetings of the ANC and I had to pay invoices of service providers. That is exactly what he has said. So is that not the root cause of where we are with ESCOM? All I'm asking is, is let us admit 
Let us admit what the root causes and deal with those appropriately. There's no point in saying and finding excuses. And let us not blame each other with exactly what is going on. The South African population increased from 40 million to 60 million now. Does that not tell us that we need to increase our capacity, we need to maintain our infrastructure, we need to build new infrastructure? Does it not tell us? But what did we do? What little opportunity we had, we found to loot and be corrupt, and we've created millionaires and multimillionaires and billionaires out of it. That is the reason why we are where we are. And the question is, when are those people going to be in orange overalls? When are those people going to be held accountable so that we can put ESCOM again into the right direction? So I think we must admit we've made mistakes. It's time to correct it. Otherwise, I can tell you ESCOM will not come right today, tomorrow, and in the next 20 years. Thank you very much. Honourable Deputy Speaker, for the, last for the last decade and a half, we've been talking about the failure of ESCOM, about load shedding and about the effect this has on the economy. And for a decade and a half, we've been hearing the same excuses. And yet here we are, facing not just ongoing load shedding, work shedding, economic shedding, but potentially a shift up to stage eight load shedding. Does South Africa know what this means? Not just for lights, not just for appliances, but for water pumps, sewage reticulation, for food storage. What about hospitals and critical medical services? This will devastate the economy and destroy jobs. But do South Africans really understand what is to blame and who is to blame? Two weeks ago, Scopa concluded oversight visits at Kusile and Madupi and met with the board and the executives of ESCOM. In that meeting, we were told by the executives with the basic reasons for load shedding of a lack of skills, the lack of time, and the lack of money. Well, it's true, but let's unpack the reasons for this. The lack of skills is due to the critical skills flight brought about by skilled personnel migrating abroad. Instead, there's an environment of cadre deployment, of nepotism, and the maneuvering of criminal syndicates into positions of power. Lack of time is due to the incompetence of the ANC government to plan for future power needs. After the white paper on energy in 1998, nothing. Nothing happened until 2007, when they hurriedly decided to commission new power stations that a decade and a half later were still not completed. Lack of money. Well, we all know about that. Having spent the weekend reading the latest installment of the Zondo Commission and how state capture in the Gupta Syndicate has looted ESCOM and the country. So yes, we can debate for hours about the causes of the current energy crisis and the problems with ESCOM, but let's be honest. The basic and most simple reason for all of ESCOM's problems today is the ANC. But the ANC doesn't want to hear this truth. The latest example of that is the reception to the ESCOM board member, Ms. Mavuso, who called out ANC corruption at our most recent meeting. She pointed out the issues at ESCOM, 
are of the ANC's making, and to quote the ANC's mess. Instead of welcoming her honesty, ANC MPs expressed pantomime horror that this should be brought up, and the chair gave her a lecture of how Scopa does not allow party politics to influence its proceedings. Rather rich, considering that ANC party politics blocked an investigation into comments by the president in February. And what is terribly ironic is that with the latest installment of the Zondo Commission, everything Ms. Mavuso said is true. Not only was ESCOM looted of almost 15 billion rand, the ANC also deployed malleable persons to the ESCOM board and appointed executives to allow state capture. This particular criminal enterprise is at the basis of what is wrong with ESCOM. And the ANC wishes to ignore the voices of South Africans when in truth the real problem in this country is the criminal network known as the ANC and their obsession with the looter continuer. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Honorable Deputy Speaker, I think my member left minutes. If that can be added to my minutes, please. Uh, my uh, first member who spoke. You don't, you don't, uh, you don't Honorable Deputy Speaker, the uh, Chief Whip of the Majority Party, Madam Pemi Majordina, other Chief Whips of political parties, um, I greet you all. Leave me with my clock, it's mine, don't know why. <laughs> Honorable members, Madam Speaker, oh, Deputy Speaker, sorry. The late President Mandela once remarked and said, do not judge me by my, by my failures and do not judge me by my successes. But he also says that, judge me by how many times I fell down and I got back up again. The crux of this remark and the basis of this of his insight is that we must become matured and assume responsibility for one's actions so that we can acknowledge our mistakes with the hope of self-correcting ourselves. This is the reason why the NC-led government urges ESCOM on behalf of the people of the country to ensure that it's able to fix the associated challenges to end load shedding. Load shedding has become a source of frustration for the people as it affects schools, school-going children, and hospitals, as well as business and households. They really get affected. Appliances get damaged. So the unplanned breakdowns and planned maintenance in a number of units as power stations must be resolved as a matter of agency. And when load shedding occurs, ESCOM needs to communicate this effectively to our people ahead of time so that alternative measures can be put in place because people must make alternative measures when they know that load shedding is going to happen. So honorable minister, the issue of load shedding it is a pain. It's also a pain for us as the ANC. Deputy Speaker, President Ramaphosa announced in 2019 
that ESCOM is our collective responsibility as a nation, and everyone should ensure that it is supported. Denoting that turning ESCOM around is not something that is beyond the technical capacity of the ANC-led government, but rather solutions to issues of national importance that require a collective action approach. Unfortunately, Parliament operates in a fundamentally different environment currently that prematurely shuts down a collective action approach to resolving issues of national importance. This is primarily because opposition parties always reduce complex problems to the lowest common denominator. And the case of ESCOM is not an exception, but the rule. Take for an example, we heard from the IFP, and this is something that we always heard. They continually will lament that ESCOM is facing challenges because it was at the center of state capture and corruption, which happened under the NC-led government. And the NC has never disputed that. And what's important when Honorable Sengwa says that, um, as members of, of parliament rather, when he mentioned issues of um, ESCOM rather, that yes, indeed, our economy is, doing, is not doing well, and the matters around population, it's quite important. But as, as much as it's the ANC-led government, you keep on lamenting about it, the question becomes, you are also an opposition party members of parliament. You have a responsibility towards the ESCOM. When Honorable Sengwa says that money and budget has been lost to ESCOM, who's allocating budget? It's us as members of, of parliament. Who must check where the money goes? It is Copa that must do his job and follow the money. When the Auditor General comes and gives you the report, issues of wasteful expenditure, so forth, this within our purview as MPs for us to do our job. So as we take collective responsibility, that indeed the, 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 what we call challenges or setbacks that ESCOM is facing, let's also look at ourselves. Mayhem, when you point a finger, check the three other fingers are pointing back. The DA blames the ANC for the state of ESCOM and urges consistently that the ANC was complicit in the state capture and corruption, which undermined the governance and financial controls of the utility in addition to its advocacy, that the energy market should have been competitive earlier to limit the possibility of load shedding. The Freedom Front Plus is convinced that affirmative action, black economic empowerment, and the supply of electricity to their neighbors, neighboring African countries brought OSCOM to its knees, which is not surprisingly, given the fact that its former, or rather its ancestors, perhaps they were beneficiary of this. The AFF advocates for state-owned ownership of ESCOM, but the part is technical that utility will never fulfill its developmental mandate as long as the ANC is still in power. There are also several challenges with the views of opposition parties on the issue of state capture and corruption. The sixth par uh, parliament has dedicated itself through the ANC-led government to fight the state capture and corruption. It was the ANC-led government which initiated the same zone door commission, by the way, and has already taken legal action against perpetrators of state capture and 
corruption at ESCOM. And ESCOM is being restructured and much progress has been made towards improving its viability. Opposition parties in the South should remember that restructuring ESCOM is a more complex process than making instant coffee. No, one op no opposition parties have articulated a single positive idea that can assist ESCOM to end the load shedding and improve generation capacity in the country. On the issue of competitive energy market, the NC-led government has introduced the necessary reforms to allow IPPs to supply energy to the grid, even though IPPs can only supply 30%, by the way, and something that you need to note, of energy due to lack of economies of scale. Now we saw the mayor of so-called of Johannesburg that is calling for what they call national imbezo in the Johannesburg where they lead and say they're calling people to come and business to come and bid and tell them what's more important on IPPs. Who brought the IPPs? It's the ANC-led government. The same IPPs are crying about. IPPs can only supply 30% of energy, like we said. What is strange is that this is the view of the DA, which opposed the NERSA. Listen what you did, Kachalia. You opposed the NERSA tariff application of 9.6% increase in tariffs only to come back to the Western Cape. Let's come here to increase electricity tariffs by 9%. You did it. That's like running with a hare, hunting with a hound. Moreover, the DA services are costly in the Western Cape, which negatively affects the living standards of middle and working class citizens, as well as poor citizens. It is, it is this DA in Western Cape that is little, that have little to give insofar as the people, the have-nots of this country. These are the results of the DA in Western Cape making super profits from the service delivery, whether it be water, you know your tariffs in water, you are very expensive for people, electricity, refuse removal at the expense of the living standards of the people. Kylie Cha, Google it and others are suffering, but you're living nicely here in Western Cape and you like it and you think that you are too comfortable and that is your problem. Now you want to do IPPs. I wonder if you're going to give people of Kylie Cha electricity. It's this ANC that gives everybody electricity, including the indigenous policy that you and Johannesburg don't even implement as we are speaking. How hogwash things that you speak about and you come here, you shout at me. I know how to shout, my friend. On the issues of state ownership, the NC-led government has supported the rollout of the electrification program to the majority of South Africans attempt to develop new generation capacity through Midupi and Kusilem. Therefore, the view of the EFF on the state-owned ownership has come under the NC-led government is the perfect reflection of believing in the Easter Bunny and the two fairy commit mountain. On the issue of affirmative action and the BE ownership and control of state African economies remains skewed and thus such policies are intended to address the enduring legacy of apartheid, which is the freedom front plus does not want to acknowledge, but rather criticized policies meant to reverse the legacy. The policy is not wrong if in, in its application is not abused. Furthermore, exporting electricity to other African countries is part of trade relations since the South African economy is also sustained by the energy sources like hydropower and gas from Zambia. So guess what? We are going to export electricity to other African countries. Opposition parties miss five obvious things about ESCOM challenges. Let me tell you. Number one, firstly, is the load shedding. It is the direct consequences of the decline in electricity sales, which has dropped over the years 
as some of these bulk buyers shifted towards less electricity intensive technologies, as well as the absence of cost reflective tariffs due to the triple challenges of unemployment, poverty, and inequality that affects the majority of citizens. This is unfortunate because it starves as form of funds to expand maintenance necessary to improve energy generation capacity. Nonetheless, ESCOM has a nine-point maintenance plan recovery plan that is pursuing aggressively to improve the utility performance. Secondly, the demand for electricity exceeds the supply to the rollout of the electrification program in some areas which were denied electricity under this apartheid regime that we had. And President Ramaphosa in the sauna as far back as 2020 identified this problem, subsequently advocated for the development growth and participation of IPPs engaged in renewable energy projects. The regulatory process of ensuring that IPPs can create further generation capacity has been completed and await the development of these projects to increase electricity. Let me respond to you, uh, Kachalia. You see, when you say it has taken us 20 years, let me tell you, remember. Honorable Kachalia, let me tell you, when he says that it has taken 20 years, when President Mandela was taking on government and he was asked a question by, by the Mayisol, Ian McRae, he asked Mandela one question, what are you going to do with electricity? You know what Mandela said to him? He said, I'm not going to do anything about it as long as you keep on connecting black people and citizens to a cheap grid. That's what Mandela said. And he had a view around it because we are talking about energy supply for everybody. So don't tell us about the 20 years. We'll tell you what was happening before that because it was not for majority of the citizens. It was really benefiting the fewer that were very comfortable. So don't take me there. The third part that you didn't note, part of the challenges of ESCOM, the cult of a non-payment has become a serious mantra on municipalities and yet we expect ESCOM to be flexible. We are reliable and pragmatic solutions that are improving the collection of outstanding debt are being designed and implemented through the installation of prepaid meters. ESCOM performance has improved in its relation with municipalities regarding the outstanding debt as we have witnessed the debt owed by ESCOM by Soweto in this instance. We keep on complaining and understand it's not that we are complaining, but there's issues that uh, ESCOM is unable to collect its revenue from Soweto. But let me tell you, we would have noted last year residents of Soweto would have paid ESCOM to a tune where we saw a decrease of 7.5 billion from 12.8 billion last year. So when you say they don't pay, they really do pay. They don't. They are unemployed. They are indigent, but they're trying what they can. That's why ESCOM must go to Soweto and ensure that it addresses people of Soweto. They too are also part of South Africa. Fourthly, challenge of ESCO. No, Thank you so well. much. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Speaker. <laughs> Deputy Speaker, one thing that we cannot run away is that the energy supply crisis in South Africa oh, is... Okay, honorable members, please. Uh, the member is trying to speak above your noise. It's too much. Go ahead, Honorable Jafta. I say, Honorable Speaker, one thing that we cannot run away here is that the energy supply crisis in South Africa is man-made. Just recently, in March 2015, ESCOM crisis was said to be a positive crisis within the ranks of the ANC. Not to be outdone, ESCOM's own CEO, Tidiso Matoma, 
told well, the world that there was no crisis in ESCO. Most recently, there have been attempts to move the ANC away from this crisis. This is largely driven by patronage politics and the mantra of, I quote, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, close quote. This kind of politics pays no regard to honesty, integrity, ethics, and smack of intellectual bankruptcy. The energy crisis in South Africa goes beyond ESCO. Fuel prices have not stopped increasing. The Central Energy Fund is in limbo and less leadership. Honorable members, the biggest question here is how this crisis was allowed to manifest. The real crisis began when members of parliament at the height of ESCOM's uh, capture through optimal poll closed ranks and hanged ESCOM's future in gallows. Today, instead of talking about energy just transition, a migration to clean energy, instead of planning ahead of consolidate, to consolidate the work of Brian James and Bobby Godsell, we are forced to repair the damage of state capture. The very goals of the National Integrated Resource Management Plan of installing generating capacity of 89,532 megawatts in 2030 are bound to fail. For example, we have not diversified our energy sources. We are obsessed with fossil fuels and have shown little commitment to clean coal. In closing, Deputy Speaker, unlike the Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy, we have no qualms about the state of ESCOM and energy security in general. We are really in crisis in South Africa. I thank you. Copier. Cope uh, is not here. Let's give it to Honorable Nyonso. Deputy Speaker, plunging the country into darkness, failing to change the downward spiral of ESCOM, using expensive but unworthy methods to arrest the problems inside the operational systems at ESCOM, failing to fund the source of decline of equipment, spending excessively beyond budget in the erection of new power stations, and continuously resorting to the blackouts that we euphemistically call load shedding. The same crisis before ESCOM's executive management over the years has, replica has replicated itself again and again. Without the supposed think tank in the Lekhutla coming up with the lasting solutions, the endemic crisis in a key commodity like energy is a major threat to the industrial and household supply of sustainable electricity. No one would want to set up manufacturing plants 
when it is not clear whether the machines will run their course during the production process. ESCOM is a deficient of, of strategic direction. The tendency to chop and change to go in the direction of where the wind is blowing, to come up with private sector-inspired alternatives, which will soon cost an arm and leg to acquire basic electricity for households and emerging industrial plants, it means someone at the top leadership of government is sleeping on the job. Ordinarily, we should mark this crisis as treasonous. But of course, there are untouchables in the hierarchy of leadership. But of course, we have a lame duck government. But of course, we have a captured leadership who do not have their priorities right. We would like to suggest that throwing funds to this dark pit is a fruitless exercise. The source of the protracted failure is a dithering administration that has run out of ideas. The root cause of the crisis is the ineptly Hutla gathering on a regular basis that keep on making it worse and rendering a total failure. Lastly, Comrade Speaker, Comrade Deputy Speaker, I'm sure I'm also speaking for Honorable Deputy Speaker, Al Jamaa is a platform for all communities. So I visit Lepaleli in Limpopo last month, that's in April. After I was informed that the residents are dying a slow death, and this includes 30% of the residents who are whites. Since 2018, not a cent of the loan given by the World Bank and the African Bank to mitigate the harmful effect of the emissions from the Matupi coal power station has been used. Sulfur dioxide emission is still 3,500 milligram per cubic meter, and it is supposed to be below, is supposed to be below 500. There's absolutely no flu gas sulfurization, and the loan given for this is due to be paid soon. On my visit to Lepalele, I saw heaped up cold flu as nearly as high as Table Mountain. Maybe I'm exaggerating. One of the seven wonders of the world. But this flu is no seven wonder, but a sitting time bomb for climate change. The sad news is that something will only be done when the seven parliament sits. That parliament will blame the sixth parliament for all the harm that has been caused to the residents. Of yeah. 25,000 children, men and women, and the elderly are dying. I saw that. That should be the reason, Honorable House Chair, that the Chair of SCOPA should be calling the CAIOS and ESCOM as an important matter of national importance. The Honorable Chair should also investigate why there is no public participation on the radar on a new loan to be given by the National Development Bank of BRICS. Shanghai claims that this loan and its conditions, including environment mitigation, will be signed by the Minister of Finance of South Africa before Christmas. This will give you, Honorable Chair, scope by your energy and speed up the protected ESCOM delay, but South Africa will have a lot on its hands. Thank you very much, Honorable Deputy Speaker. Very much. Um, Honorable Butelezi. E.M. Butelezi.
Honorable Deputy Speaker. Yes, Honorable Singh, go ahead. It would seem that he's having problems, and I will, I will take on what he would have said. Uh, Honorable Speaker, I echo the words of Honorable Shlengwa, who called for this debate on behalf of the IFP. And I furthermore submit before this House that we must draw a line in the sand once and for all on ESCOM. Many of the speakers outlined the technical, operational, managerial, and leadership issues faced by ESCOM. Still, many of the speakers failed to mention the millions of South Africans who suffer from ESCOM's rolling blackouts and the thousands of businesses held at ransom by ESCOM that are struggling to make ends meet. This debate today should not be one whereby we rejoice in the failures of the state-owned entity. We have a duty to our country as members of this House to ensure that ESCOM does better. Honorable Deputy Speaker, South Africans want heads to roll. South Africans want justice, and we want those who are responsible for the dismal failure of ESCOM to generate sufficient electricity to power our economy and homes to be held to account and hauled over the coals, as you would say. And speaking about coals, I mean, it was ridiculous at one parliamentary committee where I sat, Honorable uh, Deputy Speaker, where a coal mine was being paid for even before an ounce of coal was delivered to any of the ESCOM plants, 600 million. And that is because of the Guptas and collusion with certain people within ESCOM and the ruling party. Parliament will lose its bite if we keep barking in this house with zero consequences. Our words here cannot be ignored and tabled in Hansard to sit on a shelf for years. As members of this house, we must unanimously agree to the solutions that all have offered in turning ESCOM into a viable entity capable of delivering on its mandate. Honorable Deputy Speaker, we need to move our country's energy generation capacity into the 21st century. This is possible through the many interventions we have adopted in, in this house to allow independent power producers to generate electricity to the national grid. We need to ensure that we empower local and district municipalities financially to unlock the potential of entrepreneurs who can offer innovative and climate sensitive solutions while creating jobs and developing local communities. Our people are standing by, waiting to assist ESCOM, and they are ready to get our country powered up and ready to work. Honorable Deputy Speaker, as I conclude, we have talent in our country, we have leaders who are trusted, and we have the capabilities to be a beacon of the hope. Let us work on all the positives that we have and turn this dismal state around. If the government allows ESCOM to fail, it could put South Africa over the brink into becoming a failed state. The IP will not stand idly by and watch as our country regresses deeper into crisis. And I would appeal to all honorable members in this debate, let's play the ball, not the man. Because, you know, some honorable members are looking for excuses, uh, particularly the ANC, for what had happened. They know quite well what happened and what uh, uh, revelations were made in the portfolio committee that dealt with the, uh, the issue of ESCOM. They know what revelations were made in ESCOM. They know the proposals and counter-proposals that are being made by various individuals on how ESCOM finds itself to be in this place. So let us accept responsibility that there were people who looted. The looting has brought us into the situation. But let us also say, let us look for a positive way out because we can't sit by hopelessly and allow things to deteriorate. The, the load shedding that's taking place at the moment 
is counterproductive, as I've said, to investors coming to this country. It's counterproductive to people in rural areas who may just have had electricity connected to them, uh, you know, in, in, in the last few years or so. We, we know of incidences where uh, uh, candles fall over and houses catch fire. We know of other incidences that take place because of a lack of electricity and because people have to use. So let's look for positive solutions. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you. Uh, Honorable uh, GKY Kachalia. ESCOM has been run into the ground. The old fleet is limping and the new fleet is flawed. And the gaps in generation cannot meet the nation's current reduced needs, let alone any increment in demand. Add to this eye-watering losses, the mountain of internal and external debt, and the patent inability to finance or conduct proper reliability maintenance. Factor into this dire scenario the parlous state of the nation's treasury, and we have a disaster in the making. Evidenced by Minister Gordon's blithe floating of stage eight load shedding probability today. The DA has called for a state of disaster around ESCOM to be declared and for an independent commission of inquiry to address the mess that the ANC, as Busi Mabuso had the guts to point out, has made of a key asset. But the silence has been deafening. And now that the impending crisis has finally caused the penny to drop in government circles, we are witness to calls for private sector investment. On what terms, though? As always, the terms are shrouded in secrecy. I reckon the minister owes Ms. Mavuso an apology. No? The bold reality is that the emergency measures, like the power shop option, are plagued by 20-year contracts, legally contested procedures, and the predatory pickings of the usual middlemen. The more things change, the more they stay the same. While opening up generation access to IPPs is necessary and long overdue, the late dent it will make on the ability to meet our current needs to all intents and purposes is small in the scheme of things. The baseload in parallel must be stabilized, and that's ESCOM's responsibility. The question is, who is waiting in the wings, Mr. President, to scoop up the solutions to the problems that you and your party have single-handedly created? Who will benefit? I think we have a sense of who. The mafia wears many hats, but the colors are always the same. Black, green, and gold. If this government is unable to agree that only in an independent commission of experts, transparently privy to everything, will be able to assess the situation and chart the way forward, then it's hiding something and is patently not serious at best or up to more, no good at worst. Those who created this mess by past acts of commission or omission cannot be expected to fix the problem. Vested interests past and present stand in the way. You know this, as do the application of party factions to ensure limping continuity that will usher in an unaffordable and disastrous state of darkness. Fix this now, or you will reap a whirlwind as the lights dim in 2024. And do not think that we will allow you to write a check with your mouth that your hindquarters are unable to cash in a vain effort to buy time with our money. You have squandered the past, mortgaged the present, and sold the future. You have been warned, 
You are on terms. The Honourable Mashole. Honourable Kachalia, your time has expired. Honourable the Minister of Public Enterprises. Thank you very much for uh, bringing this motion to the House. It does give us an opportunity to once again revisit ESCOM, to revisit why we are where we are, and to once again speak frankly to the public, not in the melodramatic and theatrical terms that the last speaker just spoken, which has absolutely no value to an understanding of what is the problem what is the solution? How will we get there? Who can make a contribution and who can't make a contribution? And he's absolutely number one in the list amongst those who can't. President uh, Ramaphosa, Deputy Speaker, noted in his weekly letter uh, to the nation on the 25th of April, 2022, that, and I quote, a stable and reliable supply of electricity is essential for almost every aspect of our daily lives and a necessary condition for economic growth. That is why we are focused on achieving energy security as one of our foremost priorities, close quotation. This is our commitment to ensuring that energy security is achieved as soon as possible. It won't be tomorrow, but it will be achieved. Government and ESCOM are working to resolve the energy crisis affecting this country. And I can assure this House and the public that there's a lot of hard work, notwithstanding the hurdles and the difficulties that we face that is going into this. But at the same time, let's be frank. This is not a task that is either easy, nor is it going to be a quick fix. It's going to take time, and it's going to take resilience, and it's going to take determined efforts and lots of hurdles along the way. We appreciate, as the President said, that load shedding costs our country dearly and it causes great frustration among all South Africans and creates hardship for households and businesses. We understand the impact of energy supply interruptions and they, that, that, that they have on people's livelihoods, on students at school, on households, on broader socioeconomic impact that it also has on our recovery, uh, recovering economy. Students can't study, getting home with no means to warm food at night, leaving early in the morning in the cold, business production processes disrupted, generators required to be bought and maintained, and increasing diesel fuel prices. These are some of the impacts of load shedding and the difficulties that we find with the major provider of electricity in South Africa, that is ESCOM. Load shedding, therefore, is not an abstract phenomenon. It has a real everyday effect on people's lives. Equally, let's be frank with South Africans. This is not about rhetoric. Let's be frank. ESCOM does, not, does face a serious set of challenges. South Africa does not have energy security at present. 
While previous administrations, boards, and management caused some of the problems, it is this ANC administration, starting in 2018, that takes the responsibility to ensure that in time there will be energy security and that it will transform ESCOM. We take the responsibility for whatever has been done, but we will cure whatever has been done given the time and the effort that we will put in. We will tell you what the root causes of the problem are, not the kind of language that you've heard until now in this debate. We have a clear plan to sort out these root causes, although it will take time. And like the public, we are also impatient and want to see results and an end to load shedding. We know that some processes to introduce new investment in generation can move faster, and this too is receiving our attention. What is it that we want to achieve for this country? As the president said, and I quote, the process of structural reform this administration has embarked on in 2018 will have a far-reaching impact on the South African energy landscape, even if the changes will take time to bear fruit. So there must be energy security in South Africa sooner rather than later. There must be sufficient investment, both from the private sector and the public sector, in base load and peaking power including battery storage and other technologies. ESCAM must be transformed into a new viable institution. There must be both private sector and public sector investment in generation in particular. The transmission company must be a viable entity in its own right as a subsidiary of a new ESCAM holding company which can attract its own investment and undertake massive expansion of the grid. The independent system and market operator must be able to transact with a variety of generators in a competitive generation market so that consumers receive the best price possible for the electricity they use. The decarbonization process in the electricity sector, which contributes 41% of overall carbon emissions in South Africa, must advance at a faster pace and the just energy transition and its institutional framework must be in place and operational. New technologies such as carbon capture and other forms of technology must be explored and municipalities in particular must invest in their distribution infrastructure and ensure regular maintenance of that infrastructure. So what is this administration, what did it inherit and what is it that it is trying to fix? True, South Africa's fleet of coal power, power stations are old and their performance is deteriorating but they're not necessarily decrepit. So there's much better maintenance that is possible from private contractors and the engineers within ESCOM itself. And that is what the board and the management must continue to drive. Despite warnings from energy experts about impending energy shortages nearly two uh, decades ago, we will be the first to admit that there wasn't a quick response to that. Uh, and the 1998 white paper that some of our colleagues have referred to. When construction began on Medupi power station in Limpopo in 2007, it was the first power station to be built by ESCOM in more than 20 years. Yet at the same time, there has been massive economic growth and the electrification that Honorable Shavalala referred to had extended from 50% plus minus of the population to almost 85% of the population in terms of consumers.
For years, the existing power stations were not maintained properly, particularly as these plants were made to run harder, so to speak, to meet the country's energy needs. There was insufficient investment in the technical skills needed to operate and maintain power plants. And of course, the state capture regime ensured that competent engineers and skilled people left ESKIM rather than remained in ESKIM. ESKIM's huge debt burden of some 400 billion rands, including that which municipalities owe, is still a major constraint on ESKIM itself. So it is quite clear, as the Zonda Commission reports, that state capture in the last few years compounded the problem that ESKIM faced. And I quote from Justice Zondo's, Chief Justice Zondo's report, released last week. Firstly, the evidence of Ms. Daniels, Ms. Lamini, and Mr. Masongo as a whole proves two things conclusively. Firstly, there was a scheme to remove from ESKIM certain executives who occupied strategic positions who the Gupta family believed would not cooperate with them in their plan to capture ESKIM and steal the taxpayers' money and to replace them with officials who would cooperate with them. Secondly, that Mr. Coco was an integral component of the Gupta family's strategy to capture ESKIM. At paragraph 1253, it says the 2018 board came to understand that procurement processes and people are at the center of, other, of, of the challenges and internal controls were not effective. It goes on. At paragraph 2500, the, the commission says, the evidence heard by the commission revealed quite clearly that part of the reason why some of the state-owned companies have performed as badly as they have and why some rely on government for bailouts year in and year out is the caliber of some of the people who are appointed as members of these boards uh, of these companies and who are their chief executives and CFOs. Recommendations will be made and we look forward to that in part, part five of the commission's report. And it's interesting, uh, honorable members and the South African public, that apart from one speaker, I think nobody referred to the Guptas Nobody referred at length to state capture. Nobody referred to the Zondo report and what it actually says about who and what kind of damage was caused. All the rhetoric was, was political rhetoric. And, and yet we don't want to conf confront the real uh, problems that ESKIM is confronted with. But we'll come back to that in, in, a, in a moment. This administration is working on the following. Firstly, there's the number of political initiatives that the Honorable Mashlale referred to, whether it is the IRP-19, the introduction of renewables, gas as a, as a step down from, from coal, the creation of the independent systems and market operator, the electricity market being created in the generation sector, the just energy transition and the responses to climate change, and the electrification I referred to earlier on. Since 2018, efforts have been put in to put in a new board, to create a new management team, and much more work needs to be done in that regard, to restore the finances of ESCOM, and that is why the assistance of the state and the assistance of Treasury was required. Uh, and that money which is being put into ESCOM is actually utilized to ensure that ESCOM is able to meet its debt service costs, not for operational purposes at this point in time. But pretty soon, we will be meeting 
to determine what are the options that we have in relation to resolving the debt issue that ESCOM is confronted with. Similarly, uh, the, the IRP19 points to the energy mix that, that some of the speakers have referred to. We've, ESCOM has dealt with the corruption issue in its own ranks, and there's an over 3 billion rand claim that has been lodged against previous boards and management, and of course it will take its course through the courts. There's no doubt that further expertise needs to be brought in, uh, particularly in the generation sector, but as ESCOM itself changes, new types of expertise needs to be brought in as well. Procurement, in particular of coal, and the parts that are required for uh, the generation plant are also important areas that uh, require further attention uh, by the board and by the management as well. The state itself has assist assisted in many ways to ensure that ESCOM operates better, although not completely effectively at this point in time. From the governance point of view, as I indicated, from the department getting external technical assistance to review some of the work of ESCOM, the establishment of the ESCOM political technical team, uh, chaired by the deputy president, and uh, bringing in new leadership at various levels within ESCOM itself. But I think what is important, uh, honorable members, is to recognize that, that the senior management team at ESCOM also faces a huge burden on behalf of the country. And they do require words of solidarity and words of encouragement when we see that load shedding is happening at the rate that it is happening at this point in time. Not just unrelenting criticism, which doesn't help uh, in any kind of way, provided that the criticism is uh, designed in order to assist ESCOM to perform better at the end of the day. So, is ESCOM broken or dysfunctional? ESCOM is not broken. It is not dysfunctional, but it does have a crisis, and it does have a series of challenges, and uh, we, as we said, it will take time to resolve some of them. And in particular, if we are able to acquire four to 6,000 megawatts additional energy for ESCOM, then we create the space for the kind of maintenance that actually needs to actually occur. Is there a threat of a protracted failure of ESCOM? No, because, because ultimately, the ESCOM that we know today won't be the ESCOM that you will recognize in 10 years' time. It'll be a completely different entity. Let me conclude, let me conclude by saying the following, that reference to the ANCS criminals is wrong. There are many honest, dedicated, patriotic South Africans who are members of the ANC, just as they are members of the DA, the EFF, the IFP, or any other party. These are the honest people who want honest government, who want a state to actually work for the people of this country, and who want corrupt people to, like many of you have said, end up in orange uniforms. Those are the people that all of us should combine with to ensure that we leave behind a country for future generations that we as this generation can say we are proud of at the end of the day. So don't call us all thugs, we're not. We are the people who are trying to fix South Africa. We are the people who want to fix institutions like ESCAM. And we will succeed at the end of the day. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Honorable Minister.
That concludes the debate. The secretary will read the second order. Consideration of report of Portfolio Committee on Police on report of Commission for Gender Equality on the state of shelters in South Africa. Now call upon the Honorable uh, Tina Jumat Peterson to introduce the report. Honorable Deputy Speaker, it is my privilege and honor to introduce two committee reports for consideration and adoption by the House today. In terms of Chapter 9 of the Constitution, the South African Human Rights Commission and the Commission for Gender Equality are institutions supporting democracy. The importance of these institutions can never be underestimated and are vital to our constitutional democracy. The two substantive reports from these institutions were referred to and considered by the Portfolio Committee on Police, uh, the national investigative hearings into the status of mental health care in South Africa, and the investigative report of the state of shelters in South Africa. These reports concern two of the most vulnerable groups in our society, women and persons that need mental health care. As a country, our women are suffering disproportionately from gender-based violence and femicide compared to the rest of the world. Shelters offer victims of domestic violence a safe haven where they can escape the nightmare of suffering violence from an intimate partner at home where they are supposed to feel safe. The report on the state of shelters in South Africa did not make any recommendations regarding SAPs, but the committee noted that these relationships between SAPs and the shelters all across all provinces must be monitored. We are concerned, Honorable Deputy Speaker, that the South African Human Rights Commission held a national inquiry into the status of health, mental health care between uh, uh, 14 and 15 November 2017. The time it took for us to complete this report was way too long. We will continue as a committee to work with the South African Human Rights Commission to ensure that the recommendations they have made will be implemented. It is our constitutional mandate as a committee to exercise our oversight especially on vulnerable and marginalized groups and how these groups interact with the South African Police Service. The ANC and the committee supports this report. I thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. Is there any member from any political party that wishes to make a declaration? I will recognize the ANC. ANC? Oh, my apology. Um, no, let, let's allow the DA first to make part there, ma'am. DA, my honorable member from the DA. Honorable Chairperson, um, the Commission of Gender Equality, the CGE tabled an investigative report of the state of shelters in South Africa in Parliament in May 2019. 
the report only highlighted the police's responsibilities of shelters but did not make any recommendations regarding the sacks. The CGE only mentioned the good relationship between shelters and the SAPS across all provinces. This report focuses on the most vulnerable groups in South Africa and therefore their rights must be protected as a matter of priority. The SAPS is usually the first government department to which gender-based violence occurrences are reported to, and their assistance must go further than merely opening a criminal case. SAPS officials must determine whether the complainant is in danger or not, and if yes, steps must be taken to protect the complainant from possible further harm. Assistance must also include medical treatment and safe interim accommodation should it be deemed necessary. The victim's right and further required action should also be explained to the complainant as far as possible. The SAPs must enforce existing protection orders, which may also include the arrest of any perpetrators. The police should keep on playing a leading role in this case, these cases, coordinating the state's effort to investigate and build a prima facie case against suspects. Station commanders are compelled to establish and maintain trauma rooms at all police stations in terms of national instructions to create an environment to safeguard victims of these horrendous crimes and to contribute to successful prosecution. These criminals must preferably be removed out of our communities, thereby creating safer environments. The CGE monitors whether the government creates and implements laws, policies and programs that are intended to advance gender equality. The South African Police Service has made great strides with the creation of trauma rooms at or near police stations. However, there will always be room for improvement and in this case the rural areas still don't have the benefit of an integrated approach. A huge effort is still needed in these areas to bring service delivery on par with the most densely or more densely populated areas. South Africa needs more shelters to cater for the ever-growing need. A large percentage of women and children are often turned away, especially for long-term shelter. Government has no formal plan in place at the moment on how they make sure uh, no young people may fall through the cracks when they turn 18 while living in shelters. They are left behind, job and homeless, and could turn to crime and even sex work to support themselves. These youngsters are often left at their own mercy with nowhere to go. The LGBTIQA plus and other vulnerable groups often in need of shelters themselves. No such facility exists at the moment across South Africa. The availability of well-placed shelters across the country is an absolute must, but the shelter alone solves only part of the problem. A proper functioning shelter is also reliant on a professional staff complement to serve the community of that area. This goal can only be achieved through an intensified national focus. Members of Parliament must step up their oversight effort 
to quantify the country's need. Chairperson, the Democratic Alliance is committed to see this ideal through. I thank you. Thank you, Honourable Member. Now I recognise the member from the EFF. EFF. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Chairperson. Uh, Chairperson, South Africa is home to the vilest of human beings who prey on children, women, and the elderly. The rise in the murder rates of women and children in this country is a reminder of the horrible state of security for women and other vulnerable groups in society. It also reminds us of just how incapable SAPS is to carry out excuse me, <coughs> its duties of protecting citizens against criminals. The provision of shelters is crucial for the protection of vulnerable groups in society. And we have previously argued that the police must ensure that there are more secured shelters across the country to be accessed by abused women who have nowhere else to go. The report of the CGE on these shelters is shocking. It shows, for instance, that provinces apply inconsistent budget allocation, administration, and minimum standard requirements for shelters. The report also shows that there is no clear criteria used to determine if a shelter is adequately resourced especially NGO-run shelters. More horrifyingly, uh, the report uh, shows that the fact sexual harassment policies are not required to be part of the set uh, of policies needed for the purposes of funding a shelter. This is key as survivors are often vulnerable and therefore susceptible to, to sexual harassment at the shelters. In provinces such as Limpopo and Northwest, there are only two shelters in each of those provinces. All these points to a treasonous state of neglect of needs of the most vulnerable in society. It also shows the levels of disdain the government has and the lip service it pays to victims of abuse and of gender-based violence in the country. While we support the adoption of the report, by the parliament. We are concerned that this is just a box ticking exercise as it carries no binding obligations to SEPs to improve security in shelters across the country. We support the adoption of the report. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, Honorable Member. Now I recognize member from the IFP. Shall wait for the podium to be sanitized, please. I present this declaration on behalf of my colleague, the report under consideration of the Commission for Gender Equality's investigative report of the state of shelters in South Africa was tabled in Parliament in May 2019. Three years have now passed. Although the pressures and restrictions imposed upon parliamentary committees by COVID-19 pandemic had an impact on the work of parliament, is this an acceptable timeframe for the consideration 
of this report and particularly the gravity of the subject matter. We as parliament must do better. Further, due to the progress of time, the CG has since published the 2021 progress report on the report we are considering today. How long before such is tabled and then signed off on again? GBV remains on the increase and whilst we welcome the cooperation that has been cited as a positive feedback by CGE in the original report, that cooperation must translate into practical action steps to deal with the spate of gender-based violence, domestic violence, and other forms of violence meted out against women and children in South Africa. We must also, of course, accept that there are budget shortfalls which we must deal with, which hinder the important work that shelters do in South Africa. So the right things have been said, but little has been done. And it is the latter which must spur us into action to do right for the women of South Africa. So the IFP supports the committee's recommendations regarding the continued interaction between SEPs and shelters across um, South Africa and recognize the work of shelters as very, very important for our country. In this regard, the IFP supports and accepts this report. I thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Now I recognize the member, FF+. Chair, I want to say that, yes, it is true when it comes to police and the services, much criticism can be given on the acts of the police and certain shortcomings. But I think today we also see the other side from the police services, and that is not that they only have to fight crime, but that they also have to look, for instance, when it comes to shelters and also to people who need mental care. Chairperson, I'm dealing with both of these reports. And firstly, when it comes to the shelters, there is a compliment to the police services because the Commission on Gender Equality in their report said that they had good uh, relations and good cooperation from the police services. And I think we should congratulate them for that. That doesn't mean that there are some problems. And it is true, uh, the Commission made no recommendations, but it is necessary to see how many shelters there are uh, when it comes to this subject. Therefore, the committee will continue asking questions on that and to see that we even improve those services. I want to say, Honorable Chairperson, that you need special, uh, can I say, members of the police with special training to deal with these matters because it is emotional, uh, it is sensitive, and we also will have to look into that training. But we can congratulate the South African Police Services on that. As it gaan oor die geestelike versteerde persoene achtbare voorzitter, is het baie moeilik. Dit is uiterst moeilik om met een persoon wat geestelik versteer is, te kan werk. Die persoon op zichzelf is moeilik. En daar is een hele aantal aanbevelings gemaakt, dier die Mensenrechtecommissie en die 
komitee gee aandag daaraan en in daardie opzicht is daar ruimte vir baie verbetering van die kant van die Zuid-Afrikaanse politiedienst en sal die komitee kyk dat hulle hulle werk doen, daar is nou een nieuwe commissaris en ons gloe dat daar dan specifiek aandag hier aan gegee kan word. Ons kan nie dat ons mense wat geestelike probleme het net aan hulle eie genade oorlaat nie, daar is ook goeie samenwerking soos wat gesê is dier die mensenrechtecommissie waar ons sal daadwerkelijk moet aandag gee aan daar die probleme, die Vrijheidsfront Plus sal al by hierdie verslaan ondersteun. Ek dankie. Thank you. Now I recognize the member from the ACTP, ACTP from the Visual Platform. ACTP, honorable members who shall proceed, I recognize the member from the UDM. Sorry, um, House Chair, okay. on behalf of the ACDP, can I just, uh, Honorable Mesher was trying to connect. Can we just so, try and call so him you again? request an opportunity. May I, uh, I'll come back to you. May I recognize the uh, Honorable from the UDM? As chair. ACTP, I recognize you. As chair, the ACDP has considered uh, this report and I will focus on the uh, situation of the report, the second report. Um, it must be a concern to all of us that there is, as the committee has reported, um, the challenge of the lack of safety and security in schools for children with disabilities. And that is the one aspect that the committee did focus on. And this was the finding of the SA Human Rights Commission that found that there is a general lack of relationship between special schools and departments such as SAPS to address the issues of crime prevention, particularly the prevention of child abuse. Now, whilst the police committee noted that the SAPS has a school safety plan which manages this um, school prevention and prevention of abuse at schools, this plan has not as yet at the time of this report, extended to special schools. And the question obviously is why, whilst the SAPS had that special school safety plan for schools, why was it not extended to special schools? And one needs to just bear in mind that this report of the ESA Human Rights Commission was tabled in October of 2019. And so we welcome the recommendations of the police committee that it will ensure that SAPS implements the full school safety strategy in special schools and takes all necessary steps for crime prevention and safety at special schools. Uh, the ACDP will support both these reports. I thank you. Thank you. Now I recognize member from the UDM. UDM? Honorable members, UDM, I won't come back to you. You have forfeited your time. I recognize the member from the ATM. AT ATM? Same applies, we shall move. I recognize the member from the good, good, over to you. Thank you, House Chair. Chair, good notes and welcomes the report um, from the CGE, and in particular the reported good partnership between the South African Police Services and various shelters. However, we cannot ignore the portions of the report which clearly indicate weaknesses in the social services system 
and we call on the Social Development Department to address these. Some of them include that the minimum standards on shelters um, in the 2001 version and the 2004 versions are not being met. And of course, part of the problem is that the funding per person in need has fallen in real terms to almost half from 9, from 16,000 rand per person to 9,000 rand a person. The report also indicates the lack of standardized practices, policies, skills, skills development and complaints mechanism. So by implementing proper policies and processes, we would be able to enhance the services that are needed by the community and provide meaningful resources to GBV and other shelter needs. Um, a lack of accredited courses for survivors at shelters makes it difficult for them to enter the job market, uh, leaving them with no income and often forcing them to return to abusive environments or relationships. Uh, there is also an absence of standardized approaches to accommodate and assist members of the LGBTIQA plus sect uh, community. Um, although shelters claim not to discriminate against the sector, this is not the reality. Many shelters don't admit men, and, and this is further an obstacle for those who identify as transgender. The support to shelters is inadequate and, uh, and serious interventions are needed to address uh, gender-based violence. We need to factor in different aspects of shelter-related costs when allocating budget. Finally, House Chairperson, the lack of social workers, therapists and counselors are limiting shelters to provide the necessary services, which is crucial for the reintegration of GBV survivors into society and to independence. Thank you. Thank you. Honourable members, now we recognize the member from the NFP. NFP? We shall proceed, honorable members. AIC, honorable member thank from you. the AIC. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, the Commission for Gender Equality Investigative Report, which looked at the state of shelters in South Africa, paints an account of how vulnerable women in shelters and GBV centers live. Their relationship with the social workers, the police, the department, of social development amongst other key stakeholders is, is laid uh, to bear. A glowing picture is painted of how effective and efficient policing alongside heightened psychosocial support provided to these women is embraced by not only the Masmanyana shelter in the Eastern Cape or the House of Hope in Guazulu-Natal, there's the Grace Shelter in Kumalanga and the Kimberley Shelter in Northern Cape, but also other NPOs specializing in GPV matters. Honorable Chair, it is indeed true that the wording of the report and its analysis of the legislative framework, which underpins the rights of women, such as the Domestic Violence Act, the Constitution, provisions uh, to the Children's Act, the promotion of equality and prevention of unfair discrimination, the Sustainable Development Goals and the Vienna Conventions, amongst others, is central to the values we cherish. In this light, Honorable Chair, we cannot oppose the adoption of this report. However, we must state that at the risk of being overtaken by events, the Gender Commission has released a progressive report 
a progressive report on the state of shelters in South Africa. In this regard, the Portfolio Committee responsible for social development in the spirit of cooperative governance may have to revisit this progress report. I thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. I now recognize the member from COP. We shall proceed. Honorable Member from PAC. PAC? Okay, we shall proceed to Honourable Member from Al Jama. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honourable House Chair. Uh, Honourable House Chair, the uh, support of the Minister of Polish uh, has not gone un unnoticed, and we look forward to uh, more protection uh, for women in, in shelters. However, Honourable House Chair, the problem is that the survivors of gender-based violence, the men do not pay maintenance and the South African Law Reform Commission has been very slow in making sure that, that these at interim maintenance payment is made because sometimes we have to wait for years. I have pleasure to inform this House that the amendments that Al Jamaa has made in a private member's bill now has a constitutional muster and we hope that, that this House will support uh, uh, the provision of interim relief uh, for survivors of gender-based uh, violence. Al-Jama supports uh, the two reports. Thank you very much, Honorable House Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. Now I recognize the member from the ANC. Thank you, House Chair. Uh, South Africa has one of the highest rate of gender-based violence and femicide worldwide. Violence against women is not random violence. It is a specific form of violence which affects women and girls disproportionately. Between October and December 2021, Cases of murder and attempted murder committed against women showed insignificant increase compared to the same period of the previous financial year. The murder and attempted murder of women increased with 4.2% and 7.2% respectively. During this period, Assault with the intent to cause grievous bodily harm against women decreased with 3.6%. Between October and December 2021, the SEPs recorded 30,277 cases related to domestic violence, including rape, murder, attempted murder, amongst others. During this period, 232 murders and 209 attempted murder related to domestic violence were recorded. The most prevalent crime affecting both female and male in relation to domestic violence are common assault with 15,142 cases, followed by the assault with the intent to cause grievous bodily harm with 6,603. 
cases and malicious damage to property with 5,367 cases. Honorable House Chair, during this period, domestic violence related crimes increased significantly in October to December 2021, compared to the precedents three months from July to September, during which 19,090 cases related to domestic violence were recorded. Both men and women are victims of domestic violence. Rape and, and common assault are categorically are disproportionately affecting women during the third quarter of 2021 and 2022. 632 female rape-related domestic violence were recorded and 12,614 cases of common assault. The increase is significant and is a concern. Honorable House Chair, these statistics place into context the importance of shelters countrywide and the vital role shelters play in providing a heaven of safety to our women falling victims of domestic violence. However, the Commission for Gender Equality report found totally inadequate funding of the shelters. The CGE report highlights the various responsibilities of, of the SEPs in terms of the shelters, but the report did not make any recommendation regarding SEPs. The committee noted that the CGE found that there are no good, there are good relationship between the shelters and SEPs across all provinces. The committee felt that on the SEPs was working satisfactory with shelters, although it did not know the numbers of shelters countrywide. Honorable House Chair, based on the consideration of the committee, the committee recommended that the SEPs together with CGE research and make a list of shelters available to all local police stations and that the SEPs increase its training initiative and training programs on victim empowerment. Honorable House Chair, we must continue, we must continuously raise awareness or raise awareness of the impact of gender-based violence on individuals, families, and communities. Consistent effort must be made to support victims and survivors and hold perpetrators accountable. The ANC, the SEPs has an important role to play therein. The committee recommends the adoption of this report. I thank you. Thank you very much, honorable member. I now recognize the honorable, the chief whip of the majority party from the chamber, honorable Tolle. Thank you very much, um, uh, House Chair. I move that the House adopt this report. I'm intimidated here. I'm protecting you, Honourable. Thank you very much. I move that the House adopt this report. Thank you very much, Honourable House Chair. Thank you, Honorable Chief Whip of the Majority Party. The motion is that the report be adopted, you know, Honorable Members. I will not
Are there any objections the report agreed to? The secretary will read the third order of the day. Consideration of report of Portfolio Committee on Police on report of South African Human Rights Commission on national investigative hearings into, st into status of mental health care in South Africa. I will now call upon the Honorable Jomat Peterson to introduce the report from the chamber. Over to you, Madam. Press the mic on, ma'am. Um, thank you very much, House Chairperson. The Mental Health Care Act 2002 guides the interventions by members of SAPS. The Act states that if a member of SAPS has reason to believe from personal observation information obtained, obtained from a mental health care practitioner that a person due to his or her mental illness or severe or profound intellectual disability is likely to inflict serious harm to him or herself, the member must apprehend the person taken to an appropriate health establishment administered under the auspices of the state for assessment of the mental health status of that person. B, be handed over into custody of the head of the health establishment or any other person designated by the head of the health establishment to receive such persons. Two, if a mental health care practitioner, after the assessment referred to, is the view that the person apprehended is uh, due to illness or severe profound intellectual disability likely to inflict serious harm to him or self, must be within 24 hours and not exceeding the period of 24 hours for application to be made in terms of Section 33, or if unlikely to cause harm, he or she must be released immediately. Um, if an assisted or involuntary person, uh, a healthcare user, has absconded or is deemed to have absconded, the head of the health establishment may request assistance from SAPS. SAPS must comply with the request. When requesting the assistance, the SAPS must be informed of the estimated level of dangerousness of the assisted or involuntary mental health care user. A person apprehended in terms of subsection 4 may be held in custody at the police station. A member of SAPS may use such constraining measures as may be necessary. Uh, the committee requested that SAPS has uh, included in its plan any uh, training programs that specifically aims to assist its staff in managing cases that involve a mental care user. That SAPS has statistical information of cases dealt with by SAPS involving the report. Uh, the committee also wanted to know that SAPS monitors the effectiveness of its policies. The committee wanted to know what costs were associated with the delivery of resources to support the victims. In our view, the key challenges confronting SAPS when engaging with uh, uh, the situation, we made certain recommendations to address these challenges. In our view, 
key priorities are required for the allocation of these resources. Um, the, any information with relevance to the MHCUs should be provided by SAPS to the committee on a regular basis. The status of SAPS investigations into Gauteng Mental Health uh, Marathon Project is also required. Honorable members, the committee supports the report. It is the pleasure and honor of the ANC to present this report to the House. I thank you, Kea Leboha. Thank you. Thank you, House Chippers. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. I will now recognize political parties that wishes to make a declaration. Um, I now recognize the member from the DA. DA. Thank you, Chairperson. This substantive report was referred by the ISD to the Portfolio Committee on Police. The South African Human Rights Commission held their national investigative hearings in South Africa between 14 and 15 November 2017. The report was tabled in Parliament in October 2019, and according to uh, the Commission, despite numerous efforts, they could not succeed to get any response from the then Minister Mbalula or the police during the process, nor did they attend any of these hearings. When it comes to mental health care, people's reaction often is, what could the police's role possibly be this? The main purpose of the legislation, obviously, is to ensure that people with serious mental challenges which threaten their health and the safety or the safety of the public can be treated irrespective of their consent where it is necessary to prevent them from harming themselves or others. Data presented by the South African College of Applied Psychology 2018 suggests that one in six South Africans suffers from anxiety, depression, depression or substance abuse. 40% of South Africans living with HIV have a comorbid mental disorder. 41% of pregnant women depressed and about 60% of South Africans could also be suffering from depression. The police are therefore a very important role player. It is estimate, uh, estimated that the mental health does to some extent plays a role in about 40% of all their encounters with the public. Their ability to deal with these situations are therefore of the utmost importance. They made a presentation during December 2021 to the Portfolio Committee on Police. It was still, uh, it was quite clear that at that stage, they were very much in the early stages of planning and development, and a lot of ground must still be covered. Mental health care is a complex situation to deal with, and sometimes other role players complicate the task of the SAPs unnecessary. This investigation was completed during 2017 already, but only got only referred to the police now for finalization and this committee. The SAPS's role is to make sure that the police service has the right systems and processes in place to help people with mental health problems when they engage with the police. 
They must also help struggling officers and staff should they themselves need support. South Africa consistently struggles with some of the highest rates of violent crime, including homicide and sexual assault in the world. These pressing human strategies compete for police attention alongside a wide variety of theft, carjacking, harassment, and other criminal offenses. Barriers to access mental health support include difficulties in identifying and communicating the stress, stigmatization, beliefs, shame, a preference for self-reliance, and the anticipation that help might be difficult to access. Historically, Jefferson, mental health was never a focus area for the South African Police Service. There is no statistical information available for at least the last 10 financial years. Apparently, it was a very, it was a, a, a very important, it was not very important or recorded and subsequently dealt with on a case-by-case basis. This report obviously compelled the police to take a long, hard look at the prevalence of mental health issues in the community to formulate a professional response and a counter strategy. In this endeavor, the following areas are very important. Training programs, capacity building, training curricula, policies and standing orders, redesign and adjustment of equipment and infrastructure, service level agreements and forums with other departments and institutions, integrated action plan, statistical information. Chairperson South Africa can never see a repeat of another live ECD many scenario, and we as parliamentarians must ensure that the executive get their ducks in a row. The DA support this report. I thank you. Thank you, Honourable. I recognise the member from from the EFF. EFF. Uh, thank you, House Chair. Chairperson, we are here today to, with de dealing with a report on an investigation of the state of mental health that was, sub that was started in 2017 and was supposed to be completed in 2019, but has been delayed due to the lack of cooperation from the South African Police Service. The report goes in great lengths in dealing with the state of mental health of those detained by the SAPS and points to glaring shortcomings in the manner SAPS handles cases of detained people who are mentally incapacitated. Shockingly, the Human Rights Commission attempted to have a conversation with the South African Police Service back then when Fikil Mbalula was still minister. The police gave the Human Rights Commission a cold shoulder back then, and even today, the police have not engaged with this matter in a satisfactory way. The report found that SAPS members were not sufficiently trained to handle cases of mental health, particularly of people they detain. This has recently been exposed in the manner SAPS handled the arrest and subsequently the trial of the person who was alleged to have bent parliament. The report also indicates that police themselves end up suffering from severe episodes of mental disorder because of the insufficient preparation and training they get given to deal with mentally disturbing situations. 
It is important to note that this was before the earth-shattering changes to the question of mental health that were brought about by the dawn of the coronavirus. In 2020, the Human Rights Commission did yet another study on the state of mental health in the country, which painted an even more bleaker picture of the state of mental health. The situation must have surely gotten worse today, with the worsening of economic and social status of many of our people. The police as an, in, as an entity entrusted with the security of our nation must be at the forefront of ensuring that they are capacitated to deal with the issues like this. The report shows that the police simply do not care. We accept the report, but condemn the conduct of the police. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. I now recognize the member of, from the IFP and shall wait for the podium to be sanitized. Uh, thank you, Honorable Chairperson. I'm doing this uh, report on behalf of Honorable Zandile Majosi. Honorable Chairperson, before we discuss the merit of SAARC report and the importance of safeguarding the mental health of citizens and SAP officers alike, another, another matter must be highlighted. According to the, to, to the South African Human Rights Commission report, Honorable Minister Figilen Balula, then who was the Minister of Police, was invited by the Commission to either in, in person or through an authorized representative make, making submission at the National Investigation Hearing Mental Health Care in South Africa, notwithstanding the multiple items of correspondence sent by the Commission and acknowledgement of received and received from SAP. No date, no response has been received. Where is the accountability and consequence management? This was no previous request, but a matter of importance brought about, and I quote, the tragic loss of life following the discharge of mental health care users from the life SAT mainly facilities, unquote. How can a minister and a department brutally ignore the request from the chapter and institutions? Should they not lead by the example and cooperate with fully other state institutions, particularly those working in support of constitutional democracy and the protection and promotion of human rights? Further, following the non-response to the hearing, the, the South African Human Rights Commission provided the SACP the SAPS with a series of written questions, I won't. <laughs> Question required responses within the three month timelines in November 2017. Today, five years later, it is unclear whether this important question pertaining to SAPS interaction with and other treatment of mental health care users were not answered. We further anchor the committee concerns concerns related to the detention of of uh, of N M H C U as the well the ability of SAP officers to deal with persons living with mentally challenges. Therefore, as the IP, we support the committee recommendations. However, in light of SAP response to date, we should 
suggests that a timeline as well as correspondence for non-compliance be included. The IP support the report. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jordan. It's SAPS. I now recognize FF Plus from Visual Platform. Uh, no declaration. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honourable Member. I recognize member from ACDP. Thank you, Hastia. We indicated we would support this report. Thank you. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. Um, member from UDM. UDM. Member from ATM. Honourable member from Good. Good. Thank you, House Chair. No declaration, and we support the report. Thank you. Thank you. Member from NFP. NFP, thank you very much. AIC. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. Chairperson, on the 28th of March 2019, the South African Human Rights Commission launched a report into the status of mental health care in South Africa. It made wide recommendations and the police service was not spared. Among the recommendations implicating the police service includes, uh, open quote, the considerable underinvestment in mental health and the barriers preventing access to mental health service, those quote. It is of great concern to us, Honorable Chair, that neglect and lack of services were particularly problematic in rural areas and in respect of services for children and adolescents, as the report finds. The life as it debacle should have been our greatest preoccupation. In this report, Justice Musineke made it clear that state functionaries like the South African Police Service despite being, open quote, obliged to respect, promote, and protect constitutional entitlements of mental health care users, including their inherent human dignity rights to life, freedom, and security of the person, especially the right not to be tortured in any way and not to be treated or punished in a cruel, inhumane, or degrading way, close quote, have acted in the negative and failed to protect the rights of men were entitled to have access to adequate health care services and sufficient food and water. In turn, their families and interested parties acting on their behalf or in the public interest were entitled to demand that the fundamental rights of mental health care users should not be infringed or threatened, close quote. Honorable Chair, even our wording is important on how we respond to issues of mental health. We do not have mental health care patients, but is mental health care users. Having cleared the overgrowth, we must point out that it is plainly clear that the police service Yes, its work cuts out for it with mental great care. In fact, each police station must have a mental illness help desk where accused or suspected persons with mental disability must 
be processed. These help desks must be equipped with professionals like psychiatrists. In closing, we will support the report, Chair, as it goes at the heart of affirming the rights of mentally challenged South Africans. I thank you. Thank you, Honourable Member. Now I recognize Member of COPE, PAC, Al Jama. Uh, thank you very much, Honourable Aschi. Honourable Aschi, we are aware of the fact uh, that there are pro opponent desks at many of our courts uh, that provide the free service and professionals come forward. I was about to, like to make an appeal to our professionals to assist our police stations with their new responsibility. I don't know if you watch Muvango, Honorable House Chair, but I do, and I'm very worried what happened to Gugu uh, uh, as a result of uh, wrongful arrest and detention in the center. I just hope that that will not be the norm uh, going forward. Uh, so. On a, on a more serious note, uh, Honourable House Chair, Alzama supports uh, the report. Thank you very much, Honourable Member. Now I recognize the member of the ANC. ANC. The South African Commission between 14 and 15 November 2017 a national undersupervision that the status of the Christus Gesundheit Sorg in South Africa The following verslag is in October 2019 in the Parliament of Tafel and na the portfolio committee for police verwijs for a overweging. Good. 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 Reeds to niemand Christus Gesundes uitdagings in die uiterste disparate situasie geplaas het. Die epidemie het steeds een bedeutende inpak op die Christus Gesundheid van talle Suid-Afrikaners van wie die meeste nie hulp sal soek nie. Gedeerende die 2019 het die SIPD begin met die hersiening van die staande bevel oor die wets op gesendes op Jesus Gesundheitszorg om dit te vergraderen na wet op nationale instanties oor die Jesus Gesorg, Gesorg en 22 en SABD sy richtlijne vir politiëring van personen met gestreemhede ontwikkel en goedgekeerd vir implementering. Die Zuid-Afrikaanse politiedienst het een kwestbare groepsleerprogram ontwikkel wat dienste vir Christus Gesondheid gebruikers aanspreek. Hier die leerprogram is in lijn met die VNC Conventie oor die rechten van mensen met gestremheid en wordt aangebied by basisse opleiding. 
waar die nieuwe inname van recturen, wat politieleren uh, en leerlingen is, gesensibiliseerd en goed toegerust zal worden in die bestuur van zaken waarbij gistersgezondheidszorg gebrekend betrokken is, ze willen lang woord. Aanbare <laughs> voorzitter, om sensitief van leden te verzekeren en die van Kim aan te spreken, is capaciteitsbouw sessies gehouden. Daar benieuwens om te verzekeren dat leden kundig is, is aan elke provincie SIPD, geestesgezondheidszorg, wetsleer, uitgereikt voor verspreiding naar clusters en stages gedurende 2018. En die aanspreek van sensitivistische kwesties, wat een pakket op toegang tot diensten, monitoring en redelijke accommodatie voor slachtoffers en ortreders met gestreemheden, een sluitend geestesgezondheidszorggebruikers, en die SCPD begin met verbeteringsprocessen van dossier en vorms wat verinlichting oor slachtoffers en ortreders gebruikt wordt. Hey, this is a very sensitive point. Geestesgezondheidszorg is niet een makkelijke ding nie. Na oorweging van die verslag, beveel die komitee die volgende aan. Die politie biedt meer leden opleiding oor die hantering van personen met geestesgezondheidszorg uitdagings. Die politie werkt samen met geestesgezondheid, professionele gezondheidswerkers, wat gespecialiseerd in patiënten met geestesgezondheidsuitdagings. Die politie heeft sinds zijn staande bevelen in Brun dat een lijn met die wet op geestesgezondheidszorg en verschaft een afschrift van zijn verslag aan die comité. Die politie genereert statistieken uit verslagen die zij toe. To, uh, in sy voorkomstboeken oor geestesgezondheidszorg gevallen ten oor die land. Die politie neem maatregels om politiebeamtes te beschermen wanneer hulle met mensen met geestesgezondheidszorg en dagens te doen het ingeval is kiedere plaas van. Voorzitter, ik wil die volgende stuk ook aanbrengen in hierdie aanbevelings. Ik wil aanbeveel dat die daarom verschillende provincies wat te doen heeft met geestesgestreemdes meer activiteiten of meer hospitalen moet bouwen of moet voorzien. Voorzitter, ik wil een voorbeeld maken van mijn eigen provincie waar ik blij, die Weeskaap. Die Weeskaap heeft net geestesgestreemde zorg, uh, hospitalen in die metro en dat is in die Kaap. Voorzitter, dat is het als kruis. Ons kan niet zo so aan gaan. Nie. Dat is tijd in die jaren van democratie dat die staat moet meer gistersverzorgingsfaciliteiten uh, in plek brengen. Ons kan niet die Valkenberg Hospitaal het nie. Ons kan nie die Lentekeer Hospitaal het nie. Ons kan nie die Stukland Hospitaal het nie. Ons moet meer hospitalen aanbrengen. Die platteland me, uh, mensen gaan gebukken. Gaan gebukken onder die uh, drugs abuse. Onder die drugs abuse. Want het bedoel drugs abuse. Onder die, onder die tuk. Nou, zo de ANC. Als die tuk. Because tuk. 
work on people's brains and make people mentally. So us moet meer hospitalen voor mensen met geestelijke gestandheid bouwen. Nee, niet in, 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 in die metro of in die weeskaap nie. Maar overal in Zuid-Afrika waar ons te doen het met hierdie type gevallen. Ik dank u. Thank you, Honorable Members. Thank you, Honorable Members. Honorable Members, Order. Honorable Members, I now recognize the Honorable, the Chief Whip of the Majority Party from the Chamber. Thank you very much, uh, House Chair. House Chair, I move that uh, the House adopts this report. Thank you. Thank you, Ma'am. The motion is that the report be adopted. Any objections? Thank you very much, the, the uh, Honorable. Ah, uh, uh, no. How? Oh, what? The motion. The report is being adopted. Thank you very much, Honorable Members. Now I request the, the Secretary to read the fourth order of the day. Consideration of request for approval of Parliament of accession to the Protocol to the African Charter on Human and People's Rights on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities in Africa in terms of Section 2312 of the Constitution. I will now call, I will now call upon Honorable Daba to introduce the report from the Chamber. Thank you very much, uh, House Chairperson, uh, Honorable Chief Whip, Honorable Members, and Matalbase Mzansi Molwen. Recognizing that uh, persons with disabilities have the right to dignity, respect, equality, like all of, like all as enshrined in our constitution, we request this August House to consider the adoption of this report. Noting the recent destructive floods in, case, in KZN and the catastrophic impact it had, it had on the province, one cannot help but wonder the kind of distress it has left many people particularly those that were already vulnerable. We pass on our condolences to those that have lost their loved ones during the natural disaster. The most vulnerable are the most affected in this situation. The working class, particularly single-parent-headed households who no longer have shelter and do not have capabilities to start over and not forgetting persons with disabilities who were already struggling with accessibility, care, and mobility before the disaster. As we are adopting this report today, we hope that, we hope that the disaster plans in the municipalities will be gender sensitive and responsive, especially to persons with disabilities. The Portfolio Committee on Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities was briefed by the Department of Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities 
and the Department of International Relations and Cooperation, namely the state law advisor on the protocol to the African Charter on Human and People's Rights, on the rights of persons with disabilities in Africa on the 22nd of March, 2022. A follow-up meeting was scheduled on the 29th of March, 2022, in which the portfolio committee was briefed by the department again, as well as the South African Law Reform Commission and the presidential working group on disability in order for the committee to gain more insight into matters related to compliance, awareness raising, and consultation held on the protocol to the African Charter on Human and People's Rights on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities in Africa. The Portfolio Committee, having been satisfied with the ad additional information received and the discussion held, reiterated its commitment to ensure that the rights of persons with disabilities are promoted, protected, and upheld. The Portfolio Committee, having considered the protocol to the Africa, African Charter on Human, Human and People's Rights on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities in Africa, hereby recommends that the House, in terms of Section 231, Subsection 2, of the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa Act 108 of 1996 recommends that the House grants approval for the ratification of the said protocol. Therefore, the Portfolio Committee on Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities requests that the House moves for the adoption of the report, and I so move. I thank you. Thank you, Madam. I will now recognize political parties that wishes to make declaration. Honorable DA member, shall walk slowly until she finishes up with sanitizing the podium. Thank you, House Chairperson. The protocol to the African Charter on Human and People's Rights on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities in Africa seeks to promote, protect, and ensure full and equal enjoyment of all human and people's rights by all persons with disabilities and to ensure respect for their inherent dignity. This protocol was developed by the AU state members who were concerned about the harmful practices that persons with disabilities still face, including the killing of persons with albinism in many parts of the continent, unfair discrimination, high levels of poverty, and the great risk of exploitation, neglect, and abuse that women and girls with disabilities face. It was recognized that effective measures had not been taken by member states, including South Africa, to make sure that persons with disabilities exercise their full rights on an equal basis with others. The protocol calls on all member states to take appropriate legislative measures in order to ensure the upliftment and protection of persons with disabilities. Article 4 of this protocol stipulates that state parties, including South Africa, shall take appropriate and effective measures 
including policy, legislative, administrative, institutional, and budgetary steps to ensure respect, promote respect, protect and fulfill the right and dignity of persons with disabilities without discrimination on the basis of disability, including by ensuring effective participation of persons with disabilities or their representative organizations, including women and children with disabilities, in all decision-making processes, including in the development and implementation of legislation, policies, and administrative processes to this protocol. It is, however, very unfortunate and unacceptable that the Department of Women, Youth, and Persons with Disabilities has failed to work with organizations that represent the interest of persons with, dis with disabilities in the country. The department has consistently failed to consult these organizations in an effort to understand the barriers that keep persons with disabilities locked out of opportunities. For far too long, these organizations have been saying that nothing about us without us. They want to be listened to by the department. They want the department to involve them in matters affecting their rights. House Chairperson, while instruments like this protocol are important, it must be noted that they will be ineffective if the department does not take appropriate legislative measures to implement them. At the center of this protocol is the need for member states to pass legislation that protects and promotes the rights of persons with disabilities. It is very unfortunate and totally unacceptable that the Department of Women, Youth and Persons with Disabilities has consistently failed to prioritize the development of the Disability Rights Bill. In its draft annual performance plan for the 2022-23 financial year, the department still did not set any specific target for the development of this very important piece of legislation. This shows that the department does not recognize the seriousness of the challenges facing persons with disabilities in the country. The only thing that the department has been good at is changing its mandate year in, year out. It has failed to improve the living conditions of persons with disabilities, like Uma Mumbanjo from Bulo in KZN, who was told by the local clinic that she had to wait for more than three weeks just to get a wheelchair. Many persons with disabilities in South Africa today still lack access to education and employment opportunities. The South African Human Rights Commission has noted that households headed by persons with disabilities have less access to basic services compared to households headed by persons with disabilities. This is precisely why the department needs to start playing the role that it should be playing in improving the living conditions of persons with disabilities in the country. Now is not the time for the department to keep changing its mandate and do nothing. Now is the time for the department to prioritize the disability rights bill. Now is the time for this department of human youth and persons with disabilities to take effective measures to ensure the domestic domestication of this AU disability protocol. I thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Now I recognize the member of the EFF. Same applies slowly so that she can finish up. Honorable Mazzoni. Thank you, Chairperson. Chairperson, for far too long, the African continent has not taken sufficient care for people with disabilities.
who have often been seen as accidents of nature, not worthy of the protection of other able-bodied human beings have been afforded. We have seen this in the prostitution of people with albinism, for instance, and we have seen it for far too often in the exclusion of people with physical disabilities from engaging meaningfully in the social and political life of the, of the continent. The proposed extension to the protocol of the African Charter for Human and People's Rights is a long overdue process. It takes provisions for the protection of the inherent respect, dignity, privacy, and individual autonomy of disabled individuals. It obliges member states to adopt measures for the full and effective implementation of programs that empower and protect people with disabilities. It requires member states to mainstream disability in policies, in legislation, in development plans, and in almost all aspects of life. More importantly, it provides for the criminalization of all exclusionary practices against people with disabilities amongst member states. We as the EFF are in full support of these interventions and call on the government to do more than just pay lip service to the plight of disabled people in this country. We particularly call on the ministry responsible for people with disabilities to recognize that they are dealing with human beings who just happen to have disabilities and need to be treated with respect and we need to be empowered. The ministry has thus failed to advance the interest of disabled people in this country. We support the request for approval of the extension of the needs of disabled people to the protocol of the African Charter on Human Rights and People's Rights of Persons with Disabilities in Africa. Thank you. Thank you. I now recognize member of the IFP. IFP. Good job. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. At the outset, let me state the, the, the IFP supported this request for approval and South Africa Association to Protocol and to Africa Charter on Human and People's Rights on the Right of Persons with Disability in Africa. Person with disability deserves legislative protection as they remain marginalized person in, in many instances unfair, discriminated against due to their disabilities. Human rights and fundamental freedom are universal, indivisible, interdependent, and interrelated and the right of every individual and recognized in the national human rights instruments, which includes the universal discrimination of human rights in 1948 and the International Convent of Economy, Social and Cultural Rights. 1996, the International Covenant of Civil and Political Rights, 1996, as well as affirmed in the Convention of the Right of Person with Disability of 2006. People with disability have every right to dignity, 
and to make their own choices. They have every right to gain full empowerment and to not to be discriminated against or prejudiced in any way. Government must do all that it can in order to ensure that people with disabilities are afforded every opportunity to pursue successfully happy and productive lives in our country. I thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Uh, I now recognize the member of the FF Plus from Bishop Platform. Thank you, Madam Chair. The UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities was ratified by South Africa in 2007. The AU Protocol was only and already, depending on how you look at it, signed and an undertaking made to ratify it in April of 2019. Not much has been done since then, be it by DWYPD doing the work or by Dirko following up. Not wanting to be the continual wet blanket, but having to be that, I'm worried and not convinced. If it takes us a supposed leader in human rights on the continent, three years to get to ratify a protocol and not having even started on the domesticating thereof, I have little to no hope. We do not have adequate legislation in place to address what is being asked by us in this protocol. Article 34.1 of the protocol requires that the protocol be domesticated, although the development of national legislation to enable the courts to enforce the anti-discrimination laws and to reach reasonable and fair judgments on case law, proving discrimination against persons with disabilities. This is a matter of grave concern to me, as legislation takes years and years to see the light of day, and then to have legislation enforced is a whole other story. We can talk about what has not been done in terms of legislation since the 2007 ratification of the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, but maybe a more recent example will better suffice. Current legislation speaking to GBVF and the implementation thereof, as well as the promised new legislation post Uyenene, are evidence thereof. My colleague clearly painted the grim picture hereof in the Freedom Day debate last week. The AU Protocol on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities is aimed to promote, protect and ensure the full and equal enjoyment of all human and people's rights by all persons with disabilities and to ensure respect for their inherent dignity. It is actually a disgrace that we need to have protocols signed into law and agreed to by a continent as a whole because human dignity in itself is not a given at all. Voorzitter, the strijd om rechtvaardigheid is een eeuwigdurende strijd voor allemaal in Zuid-Afrika, maar meer zo so voor ons personen met gestremdheden. Sanna sukkel al meer als een dekade om gebarentaal als een erkende twaalfde ambtelijke taal te laten aanvaarden. Dus niet om erkenning daarvoor te krijgen, wat niet automatisch inclusiviteit eerst daarstel of betekenen. Het is niet eens om te praten van toegang tot scholen en verdere opleiding voor personen met gestremdheden niet. Zuid-Afrika in Afrika is die wereld ver achter wanneer dit bij de rechten van personen met gestreemdheden komt. Hier het departement, hier die regering, maar ook hier die parlement moet holsokies optrek, want de aanvaarde protocol betekent niks wanneer daar niet daad bij woord geplaatst wordt nie. Ek dankie.
Thank you, Honourable Member. I now recognise the member of SADP. The SADP supports the report. Uh, we won't make a declaration. Thank you so much. Thank you. Honourable uh, UDM. UDM. ATM. ATM. Good. Uh, Chairperson, we support the report. Thank you. Thank you very much. Honourable NFP. Honourable AIC. AIC. We shall pass. Honourable Cope. Honourable PAC. Honourable Aljama. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honourable House Chair. Honourable House Chair, we must compliment Durko uh, that these protocols have now been signed. Uh, South Africa is ready to implement the protocols. As you know, Honourable House Chair, after the Second World War, uh, 10 sheltered employment factories were built. They are under the control of the Department of Labor. These uh, factories produce SABC quality furniture and uh, linen. Uh, most of the furniture in Parliament uh, was made by them. Uh, hopefully it's not all burnt down. So uh, also our affirmative action policies require that a certain percentage of uh, people with disabilities be employed. We like to implore uh, government departments to increase it to 10%, 2% is not enough because we need to make sure that people with disabilities uh, play their rightful role in society. al uh, supports this report. Thank you very much, Honorable Aushe. Thank you very much. Now I recognize Honorable Member from the ANC. Honourable House Chair, Honourable Chief Whip of the Majority Party, Honourable Members, Chapter 2 of the Bill of Rights in the Constitution of the Republic recognises the rights and freedoms of all persons in the Republic. This includes the right to human dignity and equality. Persons living with disabilities are no different. They deserve to enjoy the same rights as all citizens in the Republic. They too are reserved the right to no discrimination, noting that persons with disabilities often feel excluded from society through mobility and accessibility, be it to services or infrastructure and an environment that is enabling to their needs. Persons with disabilities are considered to be one of the vulnerable groups, as often some are ostracized from their families and communities. It is through this understanding, honorable members, that the ANC is and will consistently champion and promote the rights of persons with disabilities to restore and bring them their dignity. The protocol promotes and recognizes the rights of persons living with disabilities, including the rights to equality, security, freedom from unfair discrimination, human dignity, accessibility, and social inclusion, to name a few. 
It is in line with our constitution and our social transformation agenda, building a better life for all and a South Africa that belongs to all who live in it. That is why as the ANC, we will continue to promote the rights of persons with disability through legislation, such as the Disability Act, which is underway, and continue to assist persons living with disabilities through the provision of the disability grant to assist them with the necessary support or mobility required to make their lives better. Representation and inclusion of persons with disabilities, living with disabilities, is significant to social inclusion. Government is lead in this through the condition that departments in their recruitment processes encourage and require persons living with disabilities to apply for government positions and prioritize them in their recruitment processes. However, although we recognize that there is still more to be done to promote the struggle of persons living with disabilities, we have to take stock of progress that has been made so far and the adoption of the protocol being that part. South Africa is viewed to have one of the most liberal constitution in the world. The adoption of this protocol would benefit our country to aid and better the lives of persons living with disability, including all persons in the disability spectrum. It will compel South Africa to have more programs aimed at addressing matters facing persons living with disabilities and thus improving their quality of life. It is our duty to protect those that are most vulnerable in our country and work to attain our goals of a free and safe South Africa for all as envisioned in our NDP documents. The ANC moves in support of the protocol of the African Charter on Human and People's Rights on the Rights of Persons with Disability in Africa. I thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable members, are there any objections to the approval of ascension of the protocol to the African Charter on Human and People's Rights on the Rights of People, Persons with Disabilities in Africa, as it appears on the order paper? Any objections, honorable members? The report agreed to. Thank you very much. The secretary will read the, the fifth order of the day. Consideration of request for approval by Parliament of accession to the amended Convention for the Protection, Management and Development of the Marine and Coastal Environment of the Western Indian Ocean, Nairobi Convention, in terms of Section 232-2312 of the Constitution. I will now call upon Honorable Modisa to introduce the report from the Chamber, and I'm told it's his birthday. I need to ask from you. Thank you very much, uh, House Chair. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Chief Whip. I'll repeat myself for the purpose of uh, audibility that uh, for noting that 
translation on Setswana, Africans and Sivenda is affected by low trading. So we'll have challenges on that. You may proceed, Honorable Member. Honorable, you may proceed. Yeah, I'm, only, I'm only 29. Thank you very much, uh, House Chair. Uh, greetings to the Chief Whip of the Majority Party. Special greetings to you, the Chief Whip of the Opposition. I know I'm going to get a hug after you. Uh, honorable members and fellow South Africans, the Portfolio Committee on Environment, Forestry and Fisheries held its briefings on the amended Nairobi Convention for the Protection management and development of the marine and coastal environment on the Western Indian Ocean, also known as the Nairobi Convention on the 22nd of March, 2022. The Nairobi Convention was developed in 1985 and came to force in 1996. Starting in 2003, South Africa has been a contracting and an active member of the Nairobi Convention. The 10 contracting parties worked on the amendment of the Nairobi Convention and were finally adopted in 2010. Since the convention was developed in 1985, there were lots of developments and new knowledge that necessitated the amendments, such as one, the focus on sustainable use of marine and coastal environment and resources, two, the formal inclusion of South Africa on the geographical scope of the convention, and three, the alignment with other programs of the United Nations and African Union. The provisions of the amended Nairobi Convention are aligned with the national policies and legislation, in particular Section 24 of the Constitution of the Republic that guarantees that everyone has a right to an environment that is not harmful to their health or well-being, and a protected and sustainable use environment. Furthermore, the provisions of the amended Nairobi Convention enable collaborative effort in advancing the implementation of the national legislation, such as the National Environmental Act and its variants. The National Development Plan requires the regional collaboration and cooperations to address the effects of climate change and building environmentally sustainable and resilience. Current environmental challenges such as climate change, coastal erosion, pollution, and illegal, illegal fishing requires greater cooperation in research, monitoring, implementation, and continuous assessment. South Africa remains party to the original Nairobi Convention and implements programs in line with its obligations. However, we need to agree that the amended Nairobi Convention, particularly as required by Article 31, acceding Acceding will enable us to contribute fully, uh, take part in its structures and benefit from the amended Nairobi Convention, its protocols and its grants. During the past financial year, uh, South Africa received 6.9 million towards the improvement of water quality in rivers in KwaZulu-Natal and the Eastern Cape provinces. We encourage the department, the National Treasury, and the South African Reserve Bank to work together in releasing the outstanding funds to enable timeless implementation of funded projects. Following the compre these comprehensive briefings and deliberations and submissions of supplementary information, it is our considered view that this House of Parliament should support the adoption of the report tabled by the Portfolio Committee of Environment 
forestry and fisheries about acceding to the amended Nairobi Convention to the protection, management, and the development of marine and coastal environment for the West, the Western Indian Ocean, also known as the Nairobi Convention. House Chair, I thank you very much. Thank you very much. And very much. I will now recognize political parties that wishes to make a declaration. The usual times for declaration at votes will apply. I will now recognize honorable member from the DA. Press the button, honorable member. Thank you very much. The ocean is the largest ecosystem on earth and covers over 70% of our planet. Oceans have the potential to create energy and they act as a sink to absorb man-made carbon emissions. Oceans provide natural resources and food, and critically, they're a source of much needed jobs. The South African fisheries sector contributes around 6 billion rand to the economy per year and 30,000 direct jobs along our 3,000 kilometers of coastline. The oceans play host to a delicate and intricate natural environment containing millions of different plants and animals. The health of our oceans is directly linked to the health of all life on Earth. Today, we consider the request for Parliament to approve our session to the amended Nairobi Convention for the Western Indian Ocean. The Nairobi Convention was first developed in 1985 in line with the United Nations Regional Seas Program, and it aims to address coastal challenges in line with commitments made in the Stockholm Declaration of 1972. This declaration placed environmental issues at the forefront of the international agenda and began coordinated dialogue between industrialized and developing countries regarding pollution caused by large-scale industrialization and its impact on the developing world. There was a recognition that mitigating this impact could only be achieved through effective government interventions to address pollution at sea. It also served to address marine pollution emanating from land-based sources such as plastic and chemical waste. The first of the key obligations of the Nairobi Convention is that South Africa needs to develop measures to prevent, reduce, combat, and control pollution in the oceans of the convention area. One of the most pervasive types of pollution coming from South Africa remains plastic waste. Millions of tons of plastic ends up in the world's oceans every year, and an international study recently estimated that plastic waste may actually outweigh the amount of fish in the ocean by 2050. The Indian Ocean, where this treaty is focused, is the second most polluted ocean in the world, and currently there are more than one trillion pieces of plastic waste floating around in it. This waste kills marine life and seabirds, it clogs up vital infrastructure, and it causes disease and death when its toxic remnants are ingested by people. Nine of the top 20 plastic polluting countries are in the West Indian Ocean region. These are Indonesia, India, Thailand, Malaysia, Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, Myanmar, and yes, South Africa, which ranks as the highest African ocean plastic polluter in the region. While many other African countries are taking significant steps to address plastic pollution, our country continues to lag behind. As an example, five years ago, Kenya introduced the most stringent all-out ban on plastic bags with hefty fines and even imprisonment for anyone who contravenes it. In fact, across the African continent, Rwanda, Tanzania, Uganda, Benin, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, the Gambia, Burundi, the Seychelles, even Eritrea, among others, have also implemented plastic bag bans, yet our government, overseeing the biggest contribution to plastic pollution along the West Indian coastline, sees fit to persist with the feeble response of making shoppers pay 25 cents. 
To add insult to injury, millions of rands from the funds generated from the sale of single-use plastic bags were recently exposed to have been stolen by dodgy operators. And if this government's really serious about minimizing South Africa's high levels of plastic pollution, they must begin by standing up to whatever lobby is causing their intransigence and implement a complete ban on single-use plastic bags. Unfortunately, up to now, government's shown similar levels of ineffectiveness in even signing this convention. In 2010, they missed the signature deadline because they were unable to finalize internal approval processes. And our portfolio committee has also heard that membership fees were paid late over the past few years, which really doesn't send a very good sign in terms of our overall commitment. We sincerely hope that these missteps are a thing of the past and we'll be following closely to check that government is honoring the commitments made in the Charter. Programs being pursued are good, and if they're implemented correctly, could have a significant positive impact. As a country, we have both the expertise and the willingness to help address the challenges facing our oceans. And our accession to this amended treaty provides an opportunity for government to show that it takes the sustainability of our marine ecosystems, its resources, and the people who depend on the oceans for their livelihoods seriously. The DA is in support of the report. Thank you, Honourable Member. Honourable Watson, one second. Slowly so. Uh, over to you, Honourable uh, Paulson from EFF. Thank you, House Chair, and um, happy birthday, um, Honourable Mudisi. House Chairperson, the EFF agrees in principle to the accession to the amended Convention for the Protection, Management and Development of the Marine and Coastal Environment of the West Indian Ocean, also referred to as the Nairobi Convention. We do, however, have reservations and we maintain that this ANC government and its ministers are not suitable for contributing to the lofty goals of the Convention. The Nairobi Convention prioritizes the management of marine and coastal protected areas, taking into account biodiversity conservation and connectivity, ocean governance, pollu pollution from land-based sources and activities, climate change, environmental management for oil and gas industry, growth of the blue economy, scientific research and fisheries management. In January 2022, the Department of Forestry, Fisheries and Environment issued a permit to a Chinese ship to dump 1,500 tons of toxic chemicals into the sea, about 250 kilometers off the St. Helena Bay on the West Coast. Not too long after that, the West Coast experienced a red tide, which caused harm through the depletion of oxygen better known as anoxia, which affects all marine creatures and led to the mass mortalities of entire marine communities, including mass walkouts of rock lobster that tried to escape the anoxic conditions. Another noble goal of the convention is to preserve the ocean economy for future generations. Yet in FRAP 2021, the Department of Forestry, Fisheries and Environment saw it fit to award big fishing conglomerates with a bulk of the total allowable catches. Most new entrants were denied quotas for any of the species. It is these big fishing companies with the necessary infrastructure that are depleting our oceans. The men and women with dinghies and the lone fishermen whose only purpose is survival are not the ones depleting our fishing stocks. As if dealing with Minister Creasy is not enough, 
we also have to contend with the likes of Gwedi Mantashi, who continues to push the country towards a climate change disaster by promoting Honourable a fossil Johnson, fuel economy. Just pause, just pause there. Yeah. You've got Honourable Mantashi, not Mantashi. Please be honourable and refer to members honourable so. Okay. So. Honourable Gwedi Mantashi, the Academy of Science of South Africa in January issued an advisory on Charles Plan's seismic survey. They warned that the seismic surveys cause harm to marine life. Charles oil and gas exploration and production is not in the public interest and the long-term intergenerational damage it results in cannot be compensated for by the short-term profits. Minister Mantashi, labeled those opposed to Shell's oil and gas exploration as anti-developmental. It very soon became apparent that a company linked to Shell, Bato Bato Trust, donated 15 million rand to the ANC's coffers, Amasela. The ANC cannot be entrusted with the future of our marine environment. Everything they touch ends in ruin. South Africans must do to the ANC what voters in Ward 5, Muffy King in the Northwest did yesterday when 69% of the voters voted EFF overwhelmingly. Mandla! <laughs> I now recognize the member of the IFP. IFP. Thank you very much, Honorable Honorable members, Let's listen to the member from the visual platform, please. You may proceed, Honorable Singh. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. I see that Honorable Paulson has picked up a few words from the UDM members there. Uh, uh, but let me start off by wishing Honorable Medisa a very happy birthday and many more returns and anybody else who's celebrating a birthday on this day. Honorable Chairperson, it's quite coincidental that uh, we're dealing with the Nairobi Convention today. Uh, when just uh, a few days ago, the Honorable Chairperson of the committee and some of us members it, were invited by the Wildlands Trust uh, to a visit to Nairobi, Kenya, uh, to look at, amongst other things, how they've dealt with the banning of the use of plastic bags, which Honorable Bryant has spoken about. And I think we're all aware of the harmful effect of plastic bags to the environment and to the marine life in particular, and even to cattle. Uh, that ingest uh, the plastic bags. So I think uh, we have our work cut out for us as a committee in ensuring that we proceed with legislation to ban the use of plastic bags in South Africa. Coming back uh, to this convention, uh, Honorable Chairperson, it is trite knowledge that the Western Indian Ocean is under severe threat from unregulated activities that are harmful, not only to marine life and ecosystems, but also, if left unchecked, will negatively affect coastal communities and human health. By our accession to the Nairobi Convention, we assume co-responsibility together with the other nation signatories and pledge ourselves to work together at a regional, national, civic and private sector levels to ensure that the sustainable use of the marine and coastal biodiversity and environment of the Western Indian Ocean region Honorable Chairperson, it is imperative that our oceans are protected and remain sustainable providers of food, employment, and even the air we breathe. At current rates, we are depleting our oceans faster than they can be replenished, 
regional and domestic marine protected areas must be increased and a balance found between sustainable supply and use of our ocean areas, especially in respect of the rights of subsistence fishermen to be able to continue to feed themselves and their families. The concept of the sustainable blue economy must be embraced with clear focus upon the reconciliation of conservation with economic development. Chairperson, climate change remains a serious threat to coral reefs and marine biodiversity in general, as does illegal poaching, pollution, and irresponsible seabed mining, which has been referred to by my other colleagues. Countermeasures, as well as best practice sharing between nations, party to the Nairobi Convention and other oceanic treaties is imperative. Marine life knows no borders, and it will take our collective efforts to ensure marine biodiversity, sustainability, and ecosystem supply for all our people. The IFP supports this request for approval and accession to the Nairobi Convention. I thank you, Honorable Chairman. Thank you, Honorable Member. Now I recognize FF Plus from the visual platform. Thank you, Honorable Voorzitter. The world is where the EU is the vernietig, gebruik, misbruik en uitgebuit. Aardverwarming of global warming is een van die vele tekens daarvan, die toestand van ons oceane en kustlijne, die teken wat ons vandag bespreek. The Western Indian Ocean is being degraded by activities that harm marine life, undermine coastal communities and negatively affect human health. These threats make it more important than ever for governments in the region to work together to strengthen protection of the ocean and therefore the Nairobi Convention. This convention has come a long way since it was first signed by certain member countries in 1985 and entered into force in 1996. It is, however, worrying that South Africa had not yet signed the amended Nairobi Convention during the signature period that ran from its adoption on 1 April 2010 until 1 April 2011. The core reason was the government could not timely finalize internal approval processes, although the country had remained a member of the Nairobi Convention and actively participated in its activities. And in terms of Article 31, it intended to accede to amend the, conven the amended convention, um, but it was not done in time. This cannot be, however, going forward, be the way we handle this convention and the implications thereof. We need to step up. Grondierosie van ons kuslijne en die uitsterving van ons seelewe is nie gebeure wat gedierig in ons onderbewusstsein lê of waar ons dagelijks bekommer, soos byvoorbeeld voedselsekuriteit nie, maar daar sonder is ons bestaan as mens nie verseker nie en is die nood daarvoor dis kardinaal van aard. Die afgelope vloede in KZN, die geweldige duiestorting van dele van die kuslijn, alhoewel nie direct die oorzaak van gronderoosie nie, speel toch een rol en focus dit op nie die belangrikheid van voorzorg en degelike beplanning vir ons land en die landse toekomst. Dit is juist daarom dat het belangrik is om deel van konvensies soos hierbie te wees en as wereldgemeenskap een actieve rol in die bewaring van ons kuslijn te speel. The key obligations of the convention include to develop measures to prevent, reduce, combat and control pollution of the convention area, to prevent, reduce, combat and control the coastal re erosion, to coordinate in the field of scientific research, monitoring and assessment of pollution, and to establish systems for environmental impact assessment. Chairperson, this should not just be another agreed upon nicety with pretty words and the best intentions. We should actively work towards protecting our marine and coastal environment for our next generations. Mm -hmm. I thank you.
Thank you, Honourable Member. I recognise Member of the ACTP. Uh, thank you, Honourable House Chairperson. As we consider this report of a session to the amended Nairobi Convention for the Protection, Management and Development of the Marine and Coastal Environment of the Western Indian Ocean, the ACDP notes that the background uh, to this convention is that it was developed in 1985 under the United Nations Environment Programme and Regional Seas Programme which was established directly to address oceans and coastal issues as part of the 1972 Stockholm Agenda, with the overall objective being to achieve sustainable management and use of the marine and coastal environment. The ACDP is also cognizant of the noble obligations of the Convention, that being to develop measures to prevent, reduce, combat and control pollution of the Convention area, to ensure sound environmental management of natural resources, to prevent, reduce, combat and control coastal erosion, to protect and preserve fragile ecosystems and endangered species throughout the establishment of the marine protected areas. The AZDP's concern is that the convention has links to the 1972 Stockholm Agenda, which embraced the idea that human overpopulation would result in a level of resource consumption which exceeds the environment's carrying capacity, leading to population overshoot. This concept is often discussed in relation to other population concerns, such as demographic push and depopulation. Strangely enough, the idea of overpopulation was thought to be predominantly a problem of the third and developing world. First world countries like the United Kingdom with a population just greater than South Africa's, but has a land mass about the size of the Northern Cape was not considered to be overpopulated. It is important that, as, that we find African solutions for African problems, that we free ourselves from a colonialism of the mind and that we do not subject ourselves to ideas that are a danger to Africa's population and developing nations as a whole. While the ACDP supports the noble obligations of the convention, which essentially calls for us to be good stewards of God's creation, which includes our oceans and its resources, it is the subliminal or hidden obligations which concern us. In this regard, the ACDP will not support this request for a session. I thank you. Honourable members, I will now recognize a UTM member. UTM. We shall move to ATM. Honorable Good. House Chairperson, we support the um, request for approval. Thank you. Honorable Member of the NFP. NFP. AIC. AIC. Honorable Member of COPE. PAC, Honorable Aljama. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable House Chair. Honorable House Chair, if you visited Cape Agalis and you put your one foot into a certain part, you will then put your foot in the Indian Ocean and then you can put your other foot in the Atlantic Ocean, in the Indian Ocean. So the Indian Ocean comes right up to the southernmost point of Africa. And it's a very important ocean. 
and we should not pollute that particular ocean. So Al Jamal will support uh, the Nairobi uh, amendments to the Nairobi Convention. The problem is that in Cape Town, we pollute our oceans. Uh, in uh, in Zanfle, uh, we find that there is a sugarage plant, and the poorly treated sugarage is then uh, 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 pumped into a river that leads to the ocean. And you know what happens, Honorable House Chair? A research study of one million rand by the University of Western Cape found that one third of our snook is diseased and directly linked to the sugarage plant. So sugarage pollution is worse than climate change. And we hope now that we have signed this convention that we will give some teeth to the to the NEMA Act and those responsible, like the officials of the city of Cape Town, will be imprisoned for 10 years for fine 10 million rand as provided by the Act for polluting our oceans and diseasing our snook. Thank you very much, Honorable House Chair. Thank you, Honorable Member. Now I recognize the member of the ANC. ANC? Honorable gentlemen, birthday. It's a... Thank you, House Chair. Okay, over to greetings, you, ma'am. Greetings, House Chairperson. Um, members of Parliament, let me switch off my testing. Members Hi, of Parliament, Thank you and very good much. afternoon to all people of South Africa and Africa. The month of May is not uh, only the month in which we celebrate the global struggle of the working class and the birth of Karl Marx, a German philosopher and economist. It is importantly the month of Africa. Because of this month, we celebrate Africa Day on the 25th. It is quite significantly that today the House will consider a request for an approval for accession to the Nairobi Convention as amended. <laughs> honorable Chairperson, our honorable members in this house will agree with us, our nation's uh, foreign policy is based on our domestic policy and anchored in our constitution of the Rep Republic. Section 24 of the constitution of the Rep Republic states that everyone has the right to an environment that is not harmful to their health or well-being and to have the environment protected for the benefit of the present and future generations. South Africa, as a member of the international community, a member of the African Union and SADC, the ANC recognized the integrated nature of the global environment and the need for international cooperation in policymaking. The ANC has always emphasized the importance of participation and policy alignment in, in regional in initiatives aimed at protecting the global environment. And this would mean alignment of governance systems with outcome-based approach and focusing on the uh, key national and international engagements. The request for this house to approve South Africa's accession to the Nairobi Convention for the protection, management, and development of the marine and coastal environment of the Western Indi Indian Ocean 
is fully supported by the ANC. The Nairobi Convention was developed in 1985 under the United Nations Environment Programs, which is UNEP's uh, Region C program and established as part of 1972 Stockholm Agenda. It is explaining the agenda of the Stockholm. The UNEP uh, Re Regional Seas Program is an important mechanism for conservation of the coastal and marine environment. In 1972, Stockholm Agenda is, re is referenced to the first United Nations World Conference on the Environment held in Stockholm and gave us the 26 principles known as Stockholm De Declaration that placed environment issues at the forefront of international concerns and marked the start of a dialogue between industrialized and developing countries on the link between economic growth, the pollution of the air, water and ocean, oceans and the well-being of people around the world. The Nairobi Convention was contracted and guided by, this, by the Stockholm Declaration. The Democratic uh, South Africa acceded the convention in 2003, and this convention covers over 15,000 kilometers of coastline from Somalia to South Africa, including the island uh, states in West Indian Ocean region, which is WIO. Our country has been an active participant ever since acceding of the and Nairobi Convention, and is now required to accede uh, to the convention in terms of Article 31 of the Nairobi Convention. And this is as a result of an amendment affected by the contracting parties. Honorable Chairperson, we understood that one of the concerns raised was that 1985 Nairobi Convention did not cater for the new and emerging uh, uses of coastal and marine environment. We agreed that our world is rapidly changing and effective and meaningful policy responses have to be taken to the protection and management of our natural environment. Um, support the, uh, the request for approval for accession to the Nairobi Convention by the Department of Forestry fisheries and environment, as the ANC, not only because it is in line with our national environment interest, but because most importantly, we recognize the fact that issues of environmental protection and management, like the world peace, require a, a, concert, a concerted uh, effort, cooperation, partnership, and collaboration with all the stakeholders involved. It is for this reason that we find that the Nairobi Convention was developed under United Nations National Framework for Environmental Protection and Management. Key obligation of the convention include the development of measures to prevent, reduce, combat and control pollution, to combat and control coastal erosion, and to establish systems for environmental impact assessment. Through South Africa's participation in the Nairobi Convention, there had been improvements in the water quality in Swartz Corps project in Buffalo River estuary 
projects in Taiba, Taiba and uh, Buffalo City, respectively. In conclusion, Honorable Chairperson, the ANC support this request for approval for accession and uh, for accession to the amendment Nairobi Convention in terms of Article 31. We support the country's participation and contribution to the protection and management of the environment. And this is one of the most important priorities of government towards contribution to a better Africa and world. I thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Honorable Members, are there any objections to the approval of accession to the Amendment Convention to the Protection, Management and Development of the Marine and Coastal Environment of the Western Indian Ocean, Nairobi Convention? As it appears on the order paper, any objections? Please note the ACDP's objection. Thank you. The objection shall be noted. Uh, the report uh, is agreed to. Honorable members, the secretary will read the last, the sixth report, the last order of the day. Thank you very much. Consideration of report of standing committee on finance on the determination of remuneration of members of the Financial and Fiscal Commission, dated 8 September 2021. Thank you very much. I will now call upon Honorable Abrahams to introduce the report in the chamber. Thank you, Honorable House Chair, the Chief Whip of the Majority Party, members of the August House, um, all South Africans. Good evening. This report, Honorable Members, replaces the report that was tabled in the ATC uh, number 121, 2021, on Wednesday, the 8th of September, 2021. It is on pages 28 to 29 of the ATC. The report of the Standing Committee on Finance on the determination of remuneration of members on the Financial and Fiscal Commission dated 8th September, 2021. In a letter dated 13 April, 2021, the President of the Republic requested the National Assembly to consider the draft notice in, of his determination of the salaries and allowances of members of the Financial and Fiscal Commission, referred to as FFC, amongst others. The draft determination is made in terms of Section 9.1 of the Financial and Fiscal Commission Act Number 99 of 1997, which is the FFC Act, as amended by the FFC Amendment Act of 2015, Act Number 4. In terms of the Independent Commission for the Remuneration of Public Office Bearers Act 1997, as amended by the determination of remuneration of office bearers independent constitutional institutions laws amendment act of 2014. On April 2021, the part of the draft notice from the president on the determination of the salaries and allowances of members of FFC was referred to the standing committee on finance for consideration and report. Section 9.1 of the FFC Act provides 
that members of the FFC are entitled to such remuneration, allowances, and other benefits as determined by the president, taking into consideration the recommendations from the independent commission for remuneration of office bearers. The determination by the president must be approved by the National Assembly. Furthermore, the commission must consult with the Minister of Finance when investigating or considering the remuneration, allowances, and other benefits of members of the FFC. Subsection 6B of Section 8 of the Independent Commission for the Remuneration of Office Bearers Act requires that the commission take the following factors into account when making recommendations as it did in the report. Number one, the salary allowance and benefits of members of other institutional uh, <clears throat> constitutional institutions must be taken into cognizance. Two, the affordability in relation to the responsibilities of the constitutional institution consent and the level of expertise and experience required of a member of the constitutional institution consent. On the 24th December 2020, the report of the commission was published in the government gazette number 44039. As indicated in the draft notice, the commission recommended after considering the relevant legislation and factor the factors that must be taken into cognizance, it <clears throat> considered the following, that there should be 0% adjustment to the remuneration of all categories of <clears throat> public office bearers. The schedule to the notice indicates that the FFC chairperson who in April 2020 and 1.8 gets 0% increase and in April 2021 will get the same. And sitting allowance for part-time positions per day uh, including the deputy chairperson would be 5.697 uh, as it was in 2020. And then for part-time members, it would, it, it would be 4.686, which would also be a 0% increase. Honorable members, can I uh, draw your attention to the fact that this is why the, the sentence I'm about to read is the reason why we are retabling the report. It says, the determination applies retrospectively from 1st April, 2021. Honorable House Chair, uh, the House will note that the report that was tabled indicated 2021 instead of 2020. The Standing Committee on Finance, having considered the determination of remuneration of members of the FFC, referred to it, unanimously adopted the report and approved the president's determination of remuneration of members of the Financial and Fiscal Commission. The report is once again table for consideration. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Um, honorable members, 
As agreed by the National Assembly uh, Programming Committee earlier today, there will be no declarations or votes on this matter. Um, I now put the question, honorable members. Are there any objections to the adoption of the report of the standing committee? Honorable members, any problem? Okay. Are there any objections to the adoption of the report of the standing committee on finance, which recommends, among other things, the approval of determination of remuneration of members of the Financial and Fiscal Commission? As there are no objections, the report agreed to. Honorable members, that concludes the business of the day. The House is adjourned. My boy, long live the chair.